Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Punk Till I Die podcast. We're getting almost to, I don't know, 20. Is that a milestone, Neil? It certainly is a milestone, considering this was this, only, this we were only just thinking about this like two or three months ago, right? And I, 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 uh, I, it's kind of got some taken on a life of its own. I'm afraid that one day we're just going to start recording and then we're just going to have run out of things to talk about. And we're just going to, I guess at that point, we just play all our favorite old songs, right? And then it'll just be like the Razor Cake podcast. Boom! Yeah. How'd you like that, Matt? Seth? Uh, we, uh, so, yeah, we're at episode 19. I'm sitting, uh, it's uh, February, the end of February in the Midwest, and the sun is beating down and all is good in the world. Well, it's weird. Yes, well, it's dude. It's weird, right? It's like fifty-five degrees today, and it's gonna snow like Monday through Wednesday. So you know, like well, so welcome to the so Midwest. We, uh, we 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 actually we have we have another guest on today. Oh, my family is shuffling in. I'm gonna let them get out from behind me before I start telling the story because they're gonna make too much noise. Okie dokie. But anyway, we, what's that? I said okie doke. No, I, I better start anyway. So so our next our next guest. Um, I, uh, I have a friend, I'm friends with the drummer for a band called against the grain. His name is Rob and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, Neil. And hopefully you get a chance to meet him here in the next, next couple months. He's also the tallest drummer I've ever seen. He's got to be like at least six, five. That has to the be guy's a just, drawback, doesn't it? If you play in the drums, that has to be kind of difficult. Drummers are kind of wiry, right? Right. I mean, you see the occasional fat punk drummer, but, the, but this guy's just big. I mean, he's just a big, <laughs> tall giant guy. But anyway, I was friendly with him and I, I ran into him somewhere. I don't know the Hmm. and he was telling me that a label a little label from indiana was putting out their new record and i had never heard of the label it's called failure records and tapes and he told me they were cool and he said they had a little record store down in uh, down in indiana that's worth checking out uh and he said they actually play in the record store when they go down there and they just pack the place full of people which i was more impressed with until i saw how big the place was because then i now i realized that packing it with people is not that many people but still it's anyway he's a real cool cool dude and he what told me burn. about this cool <laughs> What's that? So, so there was twelve people in the store. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. It's not that, <laughs> but it's definitely. I mean, it's. It's. I would say like a garage stall and a half, if I had okay. to guess. But anyway, yeah, yeah. we'll get that straight from the horse's mouth here in just a minute. But um, so and so I was down in Chicago, believe it or not, and I had uh, just met up with a gentleman from Liverpool that I had never met in the flesh before. And we met up in August. This is August of 2018. You yep. and I met for the first time. We did, yeah. We had a couple so of pints together. Yes. And we had a bunch of beer. And then me and my pal Scott went down to Reggie's to see... Dagle abortions. Dagle abortions, because Dagle abortions were on my bucket list. And yeah, Dagle abortions. And you headed down to... Beat Kitchen. Somewhere else to watch yep. the... Dead Boys. I the saw Dead the, Boys. Yeah, at, the, at Beat Kitchen. Yep. Exactly. Isn't that a bitch? I mean, we're in Chicago for one night, and there's two good shows on the same night. All right. How but, stupid and, is that? So that was actually the first time we met, and I remember we were talking a little bit, and I said, oh, I want to do some record shopping while I'm down here. And then I was thinking about going to Reckless or, or wherever, and and instead I decided, well, let's just make a two-and-a-half-hour trek into Indiana to go to this little record store that I heard about. My buddy Scott loves driving, so we, you know, he loves having a road trip. So we drove over there, and I hit, I went to the record farm for the first time in Logansport, Indiana. And I was actually pretty pissed off because the reason I drove over there was to get the Against the Grain Dwarf split single, and they didn't have any in stock. You imagine it? I don't know. Two and a half over there. But anyway, I talked to the guy working there. He's a real nice kid. Um, and then not much later than that, a couple months, we were doing a punk news article about cool small labels to check out or something like that underground labels that you should be aware of 
So I wrote a little thing about failure records and tapes because, you know, my buddy's band was on there. I liked what they were doing. Yeah. And one of the one of the things they're doing is kind of reviving the split split single, which I love. So we'll get into that in a minute, too. So anyway, I went over there and, and I wrote this thing and I eventually ended up, uh, you know, became Facebook friends with one of the owners of failure records and tapes. And, you know, how that's that's how modern friendships develop. Right. Online. I mean, you and I, Neil, we were we were friends online. And exactly. eventually I was. I was headed down to Indianapolis with my wife and another couple, and I reached out to this guy. I said, hey, you working at the store X day that I'm going to be there? He's no. He's like, no, I'm not, but maybe we can get lunch or something. And I said, well, I don't have time for lunch, but we'll stop by and meet up. So I actually stopped by and met up with Matt at the store in Logansport. And it was much like you and I, Neil, where we just basically just BS for like an hour. Well, that's cool. So, Tom, so, so, so tell to us. To the point where my wife more or less came in and extracted me from this. Yes. How big is Logansport? How, how how big of a town are we talking? Big? I think it's like eighteen thousand or something. But why don't we get it? Why don't we get it straight from? It's small. I mean, it's small town to have a record store. Okay, let's go straight from the horse's well, mouth. Well, listening to this whole story is one of the owners, and it, it, there's there's two owners, and I'm sure Adam seems like a real nice guy. I've only met him once, but I don't know him as well. So we got we have Matt Swisher, who's the owner of the Record Farm and Failure Records and Tapes, and he's uh, we're happy to have him with us today. So uh, say hi, Matt. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? I was afraid I'd lulled you to sleep with that long story. It was pretty long, Tom. <laughs> Tom, that was a that was a, that was a long one, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, I was listening to a different podcast. And uh, you know, sometimes you just that happens. You meet somebody, you hit it right off the bat, and we, uh, like I said, we just. I feel like we could probably sit in a room and just talk music and drink PBRs for like for like six or eight hours. Which so. may, which maybe hit... we might be doing soon, right? Possibly. Yeah, hopefully. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so man, what uh, I, I think your story is kind of similar to a lot of other people who decided they wanted to start their own label. But I think the thing that kind of sets you apart is you've been doing it for 15 years. Most people, you know, last a couple of years. So why don't you uh, kind of uh, tell us how you got started with in 2004? Would, is that date right? I would. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the very first thing we put out was probably 2001 or two wow. but that was just demos on cd that we you know xerox from staples all the insights and stuff but i think we sort of count around 2004 or five where we actually started getting pretty serious and we're like using um at that time disc makers to make like runs of a thousand cds or something oh, yeah. and then and then probably 2000, uh, maybe 14 or 15, we then kind of kicked it up even higher and started doing records and, and reaching out to more um, uh, high-profile bands. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of kind of kept evolving and evolving. And sort of the me switching the record label into a higher gear is sort of, exactly related to me being like tired of being in a band kind of like I still needed to be involved in DIY rock and roll. I want to be involved in it forever, but I didn't necessarily want to drive to the mutiny in Chicago on a Friday night for $17. And I yes. was like, I just want to do this from home. <laughs> That's kind of where the yeah. label came in. Well, so so what what was the name of the bands or bands? So it's that, like your transitional, that, kind of like for me, me writing was my, I'm sorry. 
Go ahead, Neil. No, I was going to say, which bands were you in, just in case people have heard of them or anything like that? So when it very first started, and I guess that's where we took the name Failure Records and Tapes from, is I was in a kind of like a schizo metal punk band called A Failed Escape from uh, 2000 to probably about 2012. And uh, we just, I think the first seven releases were just our own our own CDs and our own EPs. And I think a cassette tape maybe back then. And then uh, uh, probably releases seven through, I don't know, 15 were friends of ours from the area. Sometimes people would want to put out a CD that were like young punk kids and they would just say, Hey man, can we slap failure records and tapes on this? You don't have to do anything with it. We just want the name to be on there. Oh, that's cool. Like, hell yeah, I don't care. You yeah. know? So there's probably five that I didn't put any money into. That's funny because like, you know, you're talking about like the early days of the... That's funny because like in the early days of the Boston scene, like Gang Green and the Freeze and all these bands were putting out their own records, but they just like, they used the name Excel. That was like the fake label in... in uh, boston where all the bands would put it on it's just funny i didn't know that i didn't know i don't think i've ever heard that from you but it's funny that other bands were using your so that bumped up your uh release count quite a bit i mean did they go in sequence or were you not numbered them yet at that yeah. point no no i i numbered them i numbered them from the first one and we're up to i think uh live no time for tuning let me walk over here real quick i think that one's like 45 or something that's okay uh it is 43 no time for tuning okay. is number forty-three. So, and and we'll certainly talk about that later because that's one of the big things we we want to talk about. But uh, that that's definitely your biggest biggest release to date. Yes, absolutely. The the dwarves. I wish I would have done more freaking dwarves records, <laughs> but the dwarves. Yeah, was, that one sold. So that one sold out really big. It sold out in a few days. It was really big and um, and not even new dwarf songs. That's the amazing thing. No, I know, man. I thought the same. It was like when, uh, and we can wait. I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit because that's pretty recent. But yeah, when when uh, um, I yeah, just reached out, we, we could we, we could definitely. My... So, well, everybody there? A second there. You're still there, man. Yeah, I was waiting. Yeah, I was sorry. No, I'm no, yeah, that's here. that's the thing. We can't actually see each other, so it's always like, uh, who's gonna go next? Who's gonna go next? But okay, so so you so your first fifteen or so. You were just really just a regional, a regional label. At what point did you? Where, where was the next step beyond that? Just releasing bands from Central Indiana or whatever. What was the what was the the band that got you, kind of at least thinking that maybe you could go a little bit of a next step beyond that? <laughs> it's funny because um, you and I have kind of talked about this m- musician in the past, but uh, the <laughs> one that sort of got us to take. Uh, kind of a leap of faith, and I'm glad we did it. It helped us get to the next level. But that would be the homeless gospel choir. Now, and, did you um, reach out to Did you reach out to him, or did he reach out to you? No, we reached out to him, and uh, I, I also really like putting out cassettes. Man, I I was born in '81, so when I was cutting my teeth, it was buying use your illusions one and two on cassette from music land. And I, it was just, you know, ACDC live and stuff like that. So I, I do still really love cassettes. And, uh, uh, we wanted to reissue his album luxury problems on cassette. 
and uh, we did. He was cool about it, and it uh, made money. And then we used that money to, you know, to, to try somebody else. And I think after we did his, then we did it. We reissued against the grain uh, Motor City Speed Rock on cassette, and that sold okay. really, really well. Also. So what kind of what kind of runs are we talking about? Five hundred, two hundred? What, what? How many runs of cassettes are we talking about? When we did the Homeless Gospel Choir, which sort of got to be a bit of an issue, but like we did maybe two hundred. And then that went really well, and we should have stopped. And then um, he kind of talked us into doing 300 more, and we did. Now they're stacked uh, up in your garage. He's not necessarily stacked up in my garage. I mean, I've whittled through them. They still sell to this day. But um, he, uh, maybe I did 300 and 300. Yeah, maybe I did 600 total. But he just kind of um, kind of lost steam on it, kind of wasn't as interested other things kind of popped up and um sure. we actually tried to wholesale them all to him like here man just freaking buy oh, sell, them at your sh- sell them at your shows well, yeah so so hold on let me yeah. interject a second so for people that don't know you're talking about the homeless gospel choir and then you're talking about him so is it just like a one-man band oh, or something yeah. what, what what it is what is that it, okay. it's a one it's it's a guy named Derek. it's a one-man band he's from pittsburgh He's put stuff out on big labels. I mean, he's he's no, stuff. I think normally is on AF, which is Annie Flag's label. Um, he's pretty well known. He's very very political, and every he starts every song by saying this is a protest song. And he's he's a very engaging entertainer, very engaging performer. What does, I, he's that, not really what my does that thing. mean? Engaging. What do you you mean just by that? you just you just had this. You just had to see him, Neil. I went and saw. Oh, veering off. See, this is what happens, Matt. We veer. We just we just Not left, beer. right, zigzag, we veer. But I went and saw him at like this art space, right? Yeah. And the opening bands were like these really loud punk bands. And you couldn't smoke in air course or drink because it was an art space. So everybody's like in the alleyways, like chugging down beers and stuff. And he just picked up his guitar and he went and sat in a corner and just started playing. And people just sort of like gathered around him like a guru and he didn't use a microphone or anything, and he just played and he talked. And you just have to see him. You know, he's very—he's a very engaging and a very engaging performer. I think if he and I talk politics, I would probably it would last about ten seconds. Yeah. But but he's just he's he, he's I, I don't have his worldview, but I I appreciate him as a performer. Okay. That's yeah. Cool. And, so, and with me too, it was Adam, the guy that I own the record store with. He's not quite as involved with the labels he used to be. But man, he, okay. he used to be, you know, side by side on the label. He doesn't do as much as he once did, but he really liked Derek. And he was like, let's put this out. Okay. And, uh, I did, you know, I was like, I'm not necessarily head over heels about him, but I just like putting stuff out, man. I just really do. I like the process of it. I like promoting it. I like the creative angle and how does it sound? And I just, I really like that process. And as soon as one's done, it's like, all right, let's, let's get into the next one. So I, I was really into it at the time. It went okay, but uh, um, I was glad to kind of start uh, moving forward with some other artists. But he so. so he still won't buy all those tapes from you to sell his shows, huh? Bastard. No, so if, if you're willing to talk, if you're willing to talk political views with him for ten seconds, I would be willing to talk business with him for three seconds. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Um, so. So okay, so that was the one that kind of started you at least thinking on a more like a national level that you could do yeah. this on a national level. And then where'd you go from there? Well, that's funny because like all you do is 
the profile uh, uh, keeps building and building. So then I would approach Rob from Against the Grain because I saw them and I was like, man, this fucking band's great. I really like this yeah. style, you know. And hard working band, not afraid to promote their stuff. Work hard. No, they're they're super hardworking, Midwestern work ethic for sure. And I'm like, hey, I want to do the same thing for you. We've worked with the Homeless Gospel Choir, who's worked with Anti Flag, who's on tour with Leftover Crack. So then, you know, that's like your profile. And then, uh, um, um, against the grain gets on. So then the next release you do, you go to somebody and say, Hey, we've worked with the homeless gospel choir and against the grain. And we want to put this out, you know, and then, yeah. then you get the queers in the, in the profile. And then you just keep, you know, I'd like the yep. list of bands I, I drop to people just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But, uh, well, so can I ask a question? Because, I, okay, I'm old in both of you. And I remember you can always, when, you can always ask, so always ask a question. of course, okay. Well, um, <laughs> but me being as old as I am. So, okay. So the clash, they signed to CBS. And they were signed to CBS. Everything they did, they had to put out on CBS. So how come these days you've got bands doing a single here and a single there, even though they might be signed up to another label to do all their albums? Like, how, how are contracts done these days that bands are able to jump around like this? I think it's just gotten so thin and so loose that the bands I'm working with, I mean, other than maybe I never signed a contract with the queers i do contracts with sloppy seconds i didn't do a contract with the dwarves but the dwarves let me release two songs off of um, their most recent album i think that was the record take back the take back so, the night yeah yeah so all they had to do like i emailed blag and was like hey would you want to do this and he goes yeah we could probably do two songs off of the new record take back tonight let me ask the guys from burger so he just emails the guys from Burger and says, hey, do you care if I do a run of 500 of these? And they say yes. So, again, I think, you know, if I was trying to work with artists in maybe a different genre, it might be a little bit tighter. But uh, even with Sloppy Seconds here recently, man, I wanted to reissue Endless Bummer so bad. I wanted to do that one in the worst way. I had a whole campaign for it, like a promotional campaign, because it really that's, came that's out got- on the 10th anniversary of the album. Okay. That's got Neil's but favorite song. Achy Breaky Skull is Neil. It is. There's a lot of reasons for that. Is it really? Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of reasons for that. Some of them very personal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, okay, on that anyway, album, I like, I like DIY Till I Die is probably my favorite yeah, that's a good song, song. That That's a good song. Yeah. Kegs are for kids. So many classics. So many classics. But so, I, I wanted to do that one, but at the same time, they released that. They had already agreed with Detour. So it's kind of funny. They like, They reissued... Endless Bummer on Detour. I reissued a single from Endless Bummer and uh, You Can't yep, Kill Joey Ramone. Yep. It's the exact same time. And then a few, I don't know, a year later, I released um, Live No Time for Tuning. So I, I, I didn't really answer your question, Neil, but I guess I would just say things are so loose and I'm working with bands that are kind of legacy bands that aren't really needing to build a career and i'm just i'm just kind of releasing stuff as i can i guess if that makes sense cool gotcha hey hey, hold on a second this is funny so i guess i didn't realize i didn't i didn't put two and two together guys um that you guys did can't kill joey ramon because i've actually i'm looking at my email and i actually paid a paid you matt swisher so i guess we have had communication before (laughs) because because i I bought it direct (laughs) i bought it direct from you so there you go 
so I know. So Matt, I can officially That's say awesome. that you know, yeah. playing a song on a podcast can sell a record. Yeah, it's it, no, no <laughs> yeah. shit, no shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Hey, you're you're absolutely right because a few weeks ago, I guess a week ago, I dug head over heels into the digits catalog because of this podcast. So there you I have know, it, man. Yeah, they're I, good. I, I, he talked about how they're going to reissue a lot of that stuff on a double LP, and I can't wait. And I, I said, man, when he's ready to promote that thing, he better come back. <laughs> talk some more yeah there you go i'm I'm sure he will i don't have much of a problem i don't think yeah so so that was so so and i know you're not the only one doing this and and but i think um i'm i love these you and i've had this conversation man i love the split single it's one of my favorite things i have so many from the 90s and you know i always loved it especially when you only knew one band and then maybe you got turned on to another band or whatever so you know, in recent years, that's kind of become your one of your signature things is the 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 split single. So how did how did you get? I, I've heard this story, but how did you get back into? Or because you have your series is called Split Hits the Fan, and you've done five mm-hmm. of them now. So how did yep. that? Uh, where did the inspiration for that come from? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I it kind of dovetails into Neil's question. So I, I say that all we do is sort of splits and reissues and one-offs for bands that already exist. But there have been like three bands that I've really tried to get behind and try to quote unquote develop, you know, and one of them was danger bird who um, we put out a full length LP for them and they literally broke up the day it came out. So that, uh, Failure records and tapes is more than just a name. So, but, but anyway, it's like crap, crap. You know what? You know. Okay. So hold that thought, man, because we are already sucking at playing some songs. Yeah, twenty minutes in. So I was actually going to say, so we should, should, said, should every we, 10 to fifteen minutes we're going to take a song break. Well, should, we failed. Should we play a Danger Bird song, seeing as you were just talking well, about them? Or let's go. Let's go. His. Let's. Boy, I don't know. Now we. I see. I feel like we should go in chronological order. So let's. Uh, why don't we do that? a failed escape song and then we'll talk about danger bird and then take a shorter, you know, do a little shorter segment next time and then play that song. Okay. Remind us again. Who okay. failed? Who, who, yeah. Tell who, us what the, tell us. So this, so you were, you sang in this band, Matt? Yeah. A so failed the escape? band a failed escape was around for, um, probably about 12 years. And like I said, it was too punk for the metal shows and too metal for the punk shows. I know that cliche is thrown around a lot, but man, it's pretty true. We were like, my voice kind of lends itself more to like, sepultura kind of raspiness but the riffs and the speed had a lot of like punkiness to it but uh this was off of an album we had called uh 10 one minute songs that destroyed mankind and it's literally just 10 one minute songs but they all kind of flow together and it was i don't know maybe kind of political for us it was pretty political for us actually to be honest but it was the i'm looking i got a list here it was the uh 13th thing we put out so it was frto 13 and that is not on this okay. and that is not on discogs by the way if anybody's looking for it because i just checked that's mm. only on cd you could if you look up on bandcamp if you go to failurecore.com mm-hmm. and you click on the um, stream now uh link right there on the main page i think that that one is in the big cartel or i mean i'm sorry on the bandcamp and it was cool packaging because like it had a clear it was a CD, but it had a clear acetate sleeve with all the words on it. But you could see through the clear booklet into this CD that was like the planet. 
And then when you pulled the CD of the planet out, it was like a big exploded brain thing. It was kind of cool. It was it was pretty cool packaging. I think we only made like two or three hundred of those, maybe. So so the song we're gonna do is so this is a failed escape, and the song is called Twenty Six. Remind me the name of the song, man. Twenty six people I don't trust. Twenty okay. Twenty six people I don't trust by a failed escape. That was a failed escape with twenty six people that I don't trust. Now, what is what is that? What does that title mean? Who are these twenty six people, and why don't you trust them? Well, as you heard in the song, it is literally just a list of twenty six people that I may not have trusted in probably like two thousand. I wasn't married yet, two thousand seven or eight, maybe. So it's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, uh, this song's definitely got a, a date stamp on it because you can hear that list of people are. Uh, uh, you know, kind of older political figures. Some of them still around, like you know Nancy Pelosi or uh, Jose Cuervo. So some, of those, <laughs> some of those names are still around. Wow! Believe it or not, Pat Robertson still alive. Yeah. Yes. Oh, is he? Wow! Amazing. Okay, so you were talking about Danger Bird. So let's 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 go back to Danger Bird because I I really I actually really like this band. I uh, I do too. I've got the LP, and I remember you telling me a couple stories about how about how this band should have been. Should have been huge, you know, one of those bands, but just couldn't keep it together. So I'm sorry. Go, so it, you, you tell the story. It's still even one of those things, I think. It won't be like, don't get me wrong, it won't be like a band called Death, where you're like, oh my God, where have these archives been? They're going to like, if somebody, it, No, but if somebody picks up this record, and I'll get you one, Neil, it's just like, it's so good, man. It's like, I don't know, it's like 60% Ramones and 40% Super Suckers. And it's cool because even the band itself is like a really cool mix of like ethnicities and it's just so fucking cool, man. And the, the nicest guys, there were a three piece, the, the singer guitar player is this real little skinny kind of whiny, um, uh, little white kid. And his, his vocals are just great, man. He's got a great singing voice and, um, uh, I, I'm friends with their booking agent at the time, and he turned me on to him, and I was like, oh, shit, this is, like, really good. Then I, I booked them at the record farm, and then you meet them all, especially the bass player, whose name is Bass Amp, and then the drummer, whose name is Neil. Those two I was probably the closest with, and they're just really great guys, man. As soon as you meet them, you're like, you just want to work with them. So um, they were putting an album together, and I mean, I mean, I even got involved as far as, like, they made me an admin on their Facebook page. I threw a little money behind the Facebook page just to kind of get it up into like the couple thousand likes and ran a couple ads of new noise. I mean, I, I really, I was really into this band and they, in the meantime, Bassamp has another band called Bassamp and Dano. And he said, 
he said, hey, man, while we're waiting to put this Danger Bird thing out, he said, we did some songs that Joe Queer recorded. We could do a split with the Queers. And I was like, oh, man, I hadn't really even thought about that, but okay. We're kind of getting sidetracked. Putting out 500 LPs already cost, you know, three grand. And now you're wanting me to sideline with a split that's going to cost me 1500 But But we did it. And, I, you know, working with the Queers seems really cool. So we put out that first split, and it was the Queers and Bass Amp and Dano, and uh, it sold out as well. And those were old, old queer songs too. They had just been remastered or something. Now that so that did sell out. Yeah, I mean, I might have one or two left, uh, but they're in the stores. So, as far as everything I had here in the warehouse, yeah, it wiped it wiped it out. But I guess if you go to the record farm, there might be two at each location. No. Well, the the uh, the funny thing is when I when I drove that two and a half hours to pick up that dwarves. Against the grain split, which you didn't have, you did have that one. So I did pick that one. I, I have all the the splits, but I did pick up that one. So, and uh, it's fun. I didn't know if it was remastered or re-recorded. It was two songs from the Back to the Basement album, which was the last original, like all new material queers album, 2010, I think. Yep. I Great. think they were remastered because Joe has like a studio, and I think he does a lot of his own stuff. So I want to say those were remastered. Um, I know he and the cool thing stuff for about others, that. Too. Well, the cool thing about that too was I launched it and it got some traffic and then the queers shared it from their Facebook page and it got some traffic, but I needled them to death. I, I, I'm pretty relentless and I needled Joe queer to death. And I was like, come on, man, you've got to get Asian man to share this. Get, uh, I can't remember the guy's name from Asian man. Uh, Mike Park, get Mike Park to share this. Mike Park. As soon as, soon as Asian man shared it on Facebook, I think we sold like 200 copies within like two days or something. Mm. Well, that's, and that's the thing too, with like sloppy, you know, they, they have a huge f- devoted following. If they get behind something, you know, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll, it'll sell you some records. No question. So uh, let, let me ask a question about that too. So I'm, I'm looking at, again, I'm looking on, on, uh, on discogs about that release and it looks like it came on three different colors of vinyl. Is that right? Green, pink, and actually, uh, yeah, this is the cool thing, too. So to save me money, if I do a random color, like if I get it pressed in random colors, it'll, it'll be a little bit cheaper. It'll save like 200 bucks. But I end oh, up is that with right? This, I like, thought you were doing that because it was cool. You're doing it to save. Oh, you cheapskate. Yeah, I'm just doing it to try to turn nickels into dimes, baby. No, no, that's great. Rent- I got a, <laughs> well, well, so, I but, got a private jet to play pay for. But is that a, yeah. is, a, is that a, is that a purposeful decision? Like, would it have been cheapest of all just to do them all in black, or is it is it actually cheaper no, to do them in color? Random color, random color from uh, I use Gotta Groove for everything, and random color is actually it does save you a couple hundred bucks, but it is also cool. Don't get me wrong, it's also cool, and it's fun to just like these do not come shrink wrapped, and it's cool to just like you know, open them up and pull them out. And I, what would happen is some repeat customers that buy every split when I do them random, they'll like shoot me a message like, okay, man, last time I ordered, I got a green one. Do not send a green one. So then I'll send them a pink (laughs) one or a purple one. There's a cat from Chicago. I bet Neil even knows this guy. And I, maybe Tom does too. His name's Jason Winburn. No, no, no. Big, like punk guy online. And he had me send him 
every single variant that I had of the dwarves release. And it ended up being like 17 different colors. See, it works out perfectly you, for you. When they're making other records, they just, they, I mean, essentially you're just getting leftovers from other people's records, right? That's why it's cheaper. I think. Yeah. They're just going by the bins of the, the PVC pellets and they're just going, okay. all right, we've got to, we've had this baby shit green color here forever. Let's scoop this up and run some of these and, you know, this, this brown never took off. Let's run some of these. And, you know, I've had translucent purple, just all kinds of stuff that didn't really take off. I think that's what they use. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, it, it, it's, well, and, and those splits, every one of them was 500 copies, random color, right? I mean, that was, that was, so it was a pretty limited supply. Yeah. I, I think I only didn't do that for, uh, I did not do that for the most recent one, the ringworm child bike split. I'm pretty oh, did sure you those are all black. That they're all what? I'm sorry. Black. I'm pretty sure those are all black. I'm walking over right now to look here. Were they black? It I don't says, remember. I think they are. It says on, it, here we go. It says on, uh, <laughs> right on Discogs, it says it's pink is what it says. If it's, huh. maybe it, well, hey, maybe I did do random colors. I thought Let they were look. random, but I can't remember. Okay. The thing with that record I thought that was really cool was the the packaging. The artist, uh, Sean Knight, did the packaging, and it's got a really cool cut die cut. Now, minor pink, minor pink too, Neil. You you you're onto something. Maybe they're all pink for some reason. All right. Yeah. I don't know why I did that, but I did. But that's interesting to know that that's why you sometimes you choose the colors you do. It's just because it's because it's cheap, right? It's cheaper rather than you. Oh yeah, I want to do a marbled brown and yeah, baby shit brown and and green on this one. And it's that's not the yeah, choice at all. Yeah, because that it's first just... one just the queers one started the precedent because, like I said, I was already spending like three grand to put out this Danger Bird full length. I'm mean, sorry to throw these numbers around. These, I mean, these aren't no, no. You're listening. Like, no, it's I cool. rarely, I rarely ever freaking make a profit, but. Um, uh, the danger bird when I was already spending like three grand on the full length. And then they're talking to me into doing a seven inch. And I'm like, ah, I don't even want to do this. Like I got to, you know, sit, cut corners any way I can base amp did all the art base amps, a great uh, designer, great creative dude. So we, um, yeah. So that first one, that's why I did it just to kind of save some money. And then it caught on and I just kept doing it for every one of them. And I, I think the only one I even have an abundance of left is the third one which was a four-way split, which was uh, All the no breaks, man. lurking corpses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no breaks was a handful a great, of those left. No breaks was a great, great hardcore band from the, just inside the Michigan border, but they are no longer together. I don't know if the rest of those bands are. No breaks was awesome, man. Mound builders I, are still together. Mound builders. I think hail shots, yeah, shots split up. So half the bands are kind of broke up. <laughs> Oh, dude, this is the same but, thing. Yeah, that, that... that was all the same year. The Danger Bird was like in January, like January 12th, and they broke up like right when it came out. 2018, then, right? We're talking 2018? Yeah. 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 And then the Split Hits the Fans 3 was like in March, and two of the bands broke up. And then <laughs> I think I put out the Hail Shot full length that same year, and those guys broke up. Those guys paid, paid back. Like each one I kind of maybe not have a contract necessarily, but we kind of have like a plan. Like, all yeah. right, man, funnel all the online sales through me and you guys take a hundred copies at $12 a piece or something to, right off yeah. the top. And then, 
and then let's as you need more, just get a hold of me. Like it's always something like that. And I've never been burned. Like everybody's been great. Everybody's paid me back. I don't mean anything like that, but it just that year was rough as shit, man. I put out a bunch of stuff, and a lot of the people broke up as soon as it came out. And, uh, well, and every time you every time you decide to put out a record, you got to go home and tell your wife, "Hey, uh, I'm putting out a new. I'm spending <laughs> yeah. another three thousand bucks on yeah. this record, right? <laughs> it's soup for I'm dinner again tonight. Fortunate in that department. I'm pretty fortunate in that department, man. She's She's really cool because it is just kind of a money boomerang. So a lot of the very early stuff, I would just put on a, a, a no interest credit card and then just pay it right back. Uh-oh. And uh, I mean, we hear that story a lot. She's pretty cool with it, man. My my rap on it when people ask how is she so cool with it, it's just like, man, I I could be hunting or fishing or yeah, freaking sure. in a dart club yep. or restoring an old car. I have a hobby that occasionally breaks even. <laughs> or make me a little bit of money, maybe. Well, that's better than those of us who collect records, because that never breaks even, right? Yeah, but thank God for you guys. Yeah, I guess. And so let's let's, let's until I sell until I sell that Agnostic Front album for two thousand dollars, and then it'll all be worthwhile. There you go. Yeah, see, then it's good. There you go. Yeah. Hey, then, hey, then use that two thousand to put out a, a record for a band. You know. There yeah. You go. There you go. Okay, yeah. so so Tom and I do have one question for you, because both of us are bugged by yeah. this. Who the hell is making all the flexi discs, and why are you making flexi discs? Stop making flexi discs. <laughs> Who the hell is making all the flexi? Why, uh, Pirate Press. Press. Is making them. Yeah. Because every time yeah. you order something from various labels, a lot of times you'll get those. Th- We've made jokes about it. Like, I should just like put them in a goodie bag and give them away. I probably have like sixty of them plus, and I never, yeah. I literally never put them on my turntable. <laughs> They come. So, I do. I you know. I do have a quick kind of, and I'll keep it short. I do have a, kind of a cool story about. Uh, they come in Decimal Magazine, which is a heavy metal magazine. Yep. yep. And they come, new noise has a. They, new noise has a version that has them too. Yep. So and I just I subscribe to both, and I and I will say most of the time I spin them, but real quick, uh, last year there's a heavy metal band called Amorphous, been around for decades, mm-hmm. and there was a flexi disc that came with. My decimal magazine. I pulled it amorphous out. I'm like, oh man, I used to love this band. I haven't heard these guys forever. I popped it on. I'm like, holy shit, this is this is cool, you know. And it made me like pull out some of my old amorphous CDs. And then so we own two record stores. It then made us that flexi disc made us order two records for each store. And then those did sell. And then we went in and started ordering the amorphous back catalog to have in stock. So I bet me spinning that flexi disc made our store by not a ton, but we bought probably 10 or 12 different amorphous records in the following month. So that, that 50 cent, 50 cent piece of plastic worked out well for them. It, I mean, it did it, it that when that one case, it did kind of make me it reinvigorated my interest in the band. And I think the first time I heard midnight was on a flexi disc that came from decimal. And I was like, wow, this is like yeah. venom kind of, you know, Wow, Tom, oh, yeah, absolutely. I guess me and you have been under underestimating the value I of love the flexi disc. I, not surprising. Well, well, I'll tell you what, I'll send you like 60 of them. Man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll bring them with we'll like, send you uh, a thousand. I, I am with you guys, though. I definitely have 60, and you never listen to them again. And I just shove them in with all my seven inches. And I think they're all in the front. So, And then sometimes my, they uh, come and they're all bent, and they don't play with a shit, and they skip. and. <laughs> 
So one of my one of my punk news editors that I've become pretty good friends with over the years because I've been working with them for years and years. He throws shows in Philadelphia, and like he loves to do these wacky shows, and he'll give out like gift bags at his shows, mm-hmm. and he'll always put flexes in them. So I'm like, all right, John, I'm gonna send you a big freaking pile of flexies. You can hand them out. But uh, anyway, so hey, let's play. Let's do a Danger Bird song before we get too far removed from it. Yeah, do bad uh, news because yeah, this this is a really cool band. I I first heard them. Um, on the split that they did with Sloppy Seconds, and I really dug the band, and I actually bugged Matt until he gave me a copy of the album later on. So I, I uh, it's and the name of the album is Danger Bird. It's called Save Rock and Roll or Saves Rock and Roll. We'll save rock. And yeah, roll. Danger. We'll save rock and roll. Okay. And uh, it, it's real cool all the way through. You know, real snappy. You know, maybe a half hour long, dozen songs or whatever. Just just good garage punk. Catchy songs. That In retrospect, we should have called it "Danger Bird." Will break up immediately after this album comes out, but and it's too long of a title. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, so we're going to do "Danger Bird." Bad news from "Danger Bird." Will save rock and roll. There you go. Okay, that was Danger Bird with Bad News. Uh, well, now, whereabouts were Danger Bird so, from? Were they local to you? or are they St. Louis. St. Louis, okay. No, they, they were from St. Louis, and their booking agent was a guy named Jim, who's the lead singer of the Mound Builders. And the Mound oh. Builders are kind of a sludgy, kind of buzz oven vibe band that's really one of the mainstays of Failure Records and Tapes. Can I put I an LP for Stuff with that band for probably probably i don't know eight years maybe hmm. um yeah, real good real good guys to work with man they're 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 great pay their bills on time they promote hard they're just great working dudes it makes it really fun to work with them um so so i i got two directions we can go from here but let's uh Let's, because I don't want. I want to make sure we talk about sloppy second stuff a little bit. Because right now your big your big project this year is so far in 2020 at least. You reissued the sloppy seconds live album, live no time for tuning, yep. which had never been out on. Correct. You did a really nice, uh, you know, all your reissued stuff. Really, it's it, it's nice stuff. Good, nice art. Nice, uh, you know, color variants. I didn't know. I didn't know the color variants were because you were being a cheap bastard. But nevertheless, <laughs> nice collectible, nice collectible stuff. You know? <laughs> so, how did the 
how did the sloppy relationship, other than the fact that you're both from Indiana, how did how did the sloppy relationship get going? Because you've done three releases for them now, two seven inches and an LP. So, yeah. So Steve, or shoot, BA was talking to you about this on the interview you did with him, and yep. and the the time was a little bit off. It's kind of funny. Like I think somehow I ended up friends on Facebook with the guy who is. Uh, the legendary BA from Sloppy Seconds. Yep, yep. And I just, man, I will, I'm not, I don't think I'm too annoying, but I'm very persistent, man. And I have asked, I have asked Dinosaur Jr. I've asked Screeching Weasel. I've asked Mast Intruder. I've asked uh, the, the endless list of bands to do this. And actually Ben Weasel has been one of the nicest at saying no, but saying, you know, stay in touch. So um, I asked BA, and it went, it went red and he never said anything. And then like Christmas day, it was so strange. It was on Christmas day. He answers this at the time, like eight month old message. And he's like, Hey, you know what? I talked to the guys and we have this song called uh, Johnny be dead that we never released. I don't think they had released it. We could, we could rework it and put lyrics on it. And I think we want to do this. And I was like, Oh wow. That's awesome. And, um, at the time, again, I was pushing Danger Bird hard, and I was like, yeah, let's put a Danger Bird single on here as well. That'll kind of help them, uh, you know, get, gain a little bit of exposure. And uh, we put that this out. This was before or after was, that? This was before or after the LP, Matt, the, the Danger Bird LP? This would be after. Okay. Yeah, I want to – yeah, yeah. The, I would say the Danger Bird LP – came out in like January and then this split came out in like maybe March or something. Okay. No, no, it was before. Yeah. It was before it came out in August and then the full length came out the following January. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the exact years, but, uh, um, so that's how we first started working with BA. And then I would, uh, continue to harass him about playing the record farm, uh, second anniversary. And they could not get it together, so my band Owl reunited and headlined, and then BA's other band Thunderbolt Grease Slapper. Oh yeah, which yeah. is which is more like kind of like uh, rock and roll kind yeah, of thing, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, fifties rock and roll through like kind of like a cheap trick kind of lens or something. Which band? Um, no, which band is this? Play, this is called Thunderbolt Grease Slapper, <laughs> and. <laughs> B, B, they're, they're a local the they're more like a local band. indie band yeah yeah they're from indianapolis because we we touched on this with ba they are they are geographically challenged only two of them live in indianapolis anymore and one of them Correct. lives a long ways away yeah so, we had to fly um oh uh, spacing it out boba Bo. we had to fly him in from uh oregon or boba something. jam yeah and then ace yeah, drives up from yeah. nashville yeah yep yeah, Bo's in the Seattle area, I believe. So so then they ended up actually getting together and playing the fourth anniversary. They played last year. And to your, like what you said, Tom, man, the power of Sloppy Seconds, their Facebook uh, profile isn't huge. I mean, it's only like 16,000, 17,000 people maybe. But, man, those fans like you and I, Tom, they're just rabid. Yeah. And when we announced they were going more to followers, play, Only 100 times more followers than us, Neil. 
<laughs> not a hundred more, a hundred times. They should have. They, they should have got behind our interview then. Damn it! How come? How come we didn't get some more pub from them? They're, they're kind of funny. They're kind of funny like that. You never. You, you never know when they're gonna. They kind of do what they want. <laughs> I, I, let as, me interject. As, let me interject. Tom, you're, you're too nice. I thought the same thing. I listened to that interview. I'm like, damn, this sloppy interview is great. I went to the page and I'm like, man, sloppy didn't share this. If it was me. I'm needling this guy to death. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, see, I'm. You know, I guess the thing is, we don't have any. We're not. We're not money motivated, man. You know what I mean? Like we've actually going forward, we're trying to figure out, you know, how we might do things because we don't. We just, you know, we're doing this for fun. You know what I mean? We never. This is not a business for us. This is definitely a couple of guys that like hanging out and shooting the shit. You know, kind of a thing. So. So, but it always and, feels and good not, when it's I'm, getting out there, though. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 to hear it. And, it, and I think it is organically growing pretty, pretty well. And I think, like, like our friends, Lobby Seconds, I think the people that are into it are really into it. We seem to have a pretty good, uh, you know, following of old white men that like what we're doing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely your demographic. <laughs> We, we kind of figured it out. Our demographic is like guys who want to be involved with the scene, but like don't have any friends and are just like sitting around. <laughs> the to Jesus. Be the scene. <laughs> well, so, let's, hope, let, let's hope there's some ladies too. <laughs> yes, there are some ladies. That's true. I was actually uh, shocked, I, shocked when I learned of the different ages and sexes and demographics of people who listen. But anyway. So if you, it was me, I would have messaged BA and said, hey, man. Can you share that podcast? And then just fire him the link itself. Yeah. Can you share See, this? I saw, that, I, saw that, I saw that the real BA, the the person who's BA, liked the podcast. Like our like Facebook. Right. I mean, not that not that particular post, like the page in general, and that, that made me pretty happy. I hope you listened to the Rick Sims episode. I'm sure you get a kick out of it. Well, Matt, maybe we'll put oh, you that in that Rick Sims episode's awesome. Maybe we'll put you in charge of all publicity, Matt, because it sounds like you know you, you can get stuff done. <laughs> well, I would it, do it, it in a heartbeat. I already have ideas for what you should be doing. Oh, some all right. uh, some little marketing, you know. When you have no budget, you just got to kind of be creative. You got to beat the Facebook algorithms, right? But well, here's how I look at a lot of the. You say the budget, a lot of the money stuff. I look at like, you know, of course not thousands of dollars, but it's like, man, if you could kick the can down the road a little bit farther and drop like. $50 to do so it's kind of like think about man all the times I went and saw this band and I dropped $50 just drinking during the opening act or yeah. Yeah. you know if you go to a casino you're going to drop $50 in 20 minutes so I kind of like rationalize it all in my head that way like you know I, and again and I think too that I'm really guilty of spending too much time and money on old school promotion because I love being in magazines I love magazine ads. I love promotional cards. Tom, I bet you I send every time I send you a package, I bet you there's a promo card in there. And I don't know that it does anything. I just know that in the early nineties, that's how I found out stuff. You left that yeah. concert with like a cutout sheet of paper or a promo card, or you saw those pictures. And back then it was metal maniacs was the magazine I was into. But like, I, I like that old school promotion shit, but at the same time I could drop $500 on a, add a new noise and then like the day it's in the magazine you're like it didn't sell a single record <laughs> like, yeah. that was a good idea or not well it is it is tricky and matt and i have been kind of we've worked together on a couple things and and i hope that maybe next month or whenever we could actually sit down and say hey what works and what doesn't because we really haven't had our chances to put our heads together because it is it is a tricky 
it's a tricky business and it's kind of a horrible business because essentially you have to mm-hmm. become a salesman. And you didn't start putting out records so that you could be. I didn't no. start writing about records so I could be a salesman. You know what I mean? And it's, it's so it's it is it's, it's an interesting an interesting dynamic. And like I said, we're not Neil and I are not at all money motivated. Well, um, well I mean, if someone I mean, wants if, to send us some, I am not I'm not averse true. to I that. Mean, you know, kind of joke too, Matt, about like what are they like? What who's going to want to buy ads with us? Like Viagra, you know, because it's going to be well, it's going to be all like, old, like old you white say, You say you're not money motivated, and I'm not either. And that's when I think the best quality product comes to be. You know, yeah. when you listen to this podcast, you're just like, oh, this is really good. These two dudes have wasted so much of their lives studying punk rock that I cannot. Well wasted, man. Well wasted. <laughs> you know, it's just a really good product. So it's just kind of like if you're passionate about it, you know, sorry, I keep I keep burping. I'm drinking these PBR coffee things. and Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> How is that? I see that. That is the most ghetto ass thing I've ever seen. Is it good? Yeah, it's okay. I poured it over some ice. My wife got me a four pack. I poured it over ice. It's not too bad, but I mean, PBR is their product line is literally exploding. And the other day, night it was out, and I had this PBR Extra, which is like regular PBR but more booze, more alcohol. <laughs> tasted like tasted like somebody punching the stomach, but it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, all right so where, where are we at we're at where we're at red sloppy seconds so 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 how okay so you went from so you, he agreed to do the single with this older song rework it which i think is cool um and then so from there you went to the the joy ramon thing yeah am i right the, about that or yeah yeah and i just kept you know with 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 ba i'm not bugging him it's just i I, and I know he feels the same. Like I really do think of him now years later as a friend, but man, it's a cool guy to just sort of float questions to man. Like I have, I have questions about the screeching weasel song. I want to be a homosexual and mm. the sloppy second song. I don't I don't want to be a homosexual. Mm. Yep. And I always felt like that song was like Ben weasel firing back at them and, you know, maybe Ben clearly taking the song way too serious. The floppy. Well, song. but that, but they always said that wasn't the case. That it was no, that there was never any animosity between them, right? Yeah, it, but I had to ask, you know, because he yeah. even says something in that song about your bleach blonde hair um, when, when he's singing about this person or whatever. So, like, I'll ask him questions about that. I wanted to know yeah. why Endless Bummer never was on a bigger label than it was. So we would just kind of talk and stuff. And I think he hit me up. You know, hey, do you want to do you want to reissue uh, Joey Ramone because we're getting ready to put out Endless Bummer with Detour? And I was like, man, and I and I mean to say I'll do anything they want to do. I just they're so easy to work with. Same with the Dwarves and the Queers, like really everybody. But it's just cool when it's a bigger band that you really like yeah. a lot. And then they're also super nice guys. Like one time around Christmas, my wife and I. We're in Indianapolis, and we asked B.A. if he wanted to just grab a bite to eat around Fountain Square. And uh, he came, and we went out to to lunch. And when he came, he brought <laughs> Christmas presents for my kids. Oh, that's you know, really? like a nice, he brought two Mad Magazines. I was going to say, it wasn't like the boys. B.A. bobblehead, was it? He's like, here's your... Here's <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, which, which I have three of. <laughs> so, so... It's funny you say that because, you know, we, me and my buddy Scott, who you met real briefly and Neil knows, we yeah. have been following that band around for quite a few years now, like more than 10. 
So usually we try to catch two or three shows a tour, you know, ones we can drive to or whatever. Um, but we've, it's funny because we become friends with them because, you know, we'll roll up to some bar in St. Louis and they don't know anybody and we'll be sitting there. So we'll just hang out at the back bar. So all those questions you're talking about with BA, I've done the same thing. I mean, we've, we've just, they've told us so many great stories and, uh, I just, they, they are, they're great dudes. Bo, Bo and, and Ace, the guitar player and bass player are the ones we probably know the best because everybody mm-hmm. wants a piece of BA, you know, it's like yep. you go to a show, everybody wants a piece of BA. But so the other guys are, but it, but yeah, so many great stories about shooting videos or and 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 honestly, interviewing BA, I was really impressed with how candid he is about all the business stuff because I would have never asked him point blank about this or that, but he didn't seem to have any qualms about about kind of the nuts and bolts about you know where they're at now and and where they were back in the day and. And, uh, you know, just, just a refreshing guy. But I think the thing everybody wants from BA is for him to be this kind of wacky, wild dude. But at the end of the day, he's just, he's just a normal guy, you know, because on stage, he's essentially like a bigger than life guy, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you've met other people like that. For me, the other one that I'll say this about is like Tesco V. This guy is a wild man on stage, but you talk to him, he's just like a kind of a shy, normal dude, you know? You know, so. and that year, last year, when Sloppy Seconds played punk rock bowling, yeah. man, there was such a buzz out there for it. Like, just walking around the crowd, and their merch table was just loaded all day long. Um, it was kind of cool, because that's right when the Joey Ramone 7-inch came out, too. And yeah. the bobblehead. It was kind of a big sloppy resurgence uh, about a year ago. And... Yeah. Um, their merch table is loaded with people and I'm walking around and there's all these people from, you know, Vegas and LA and all this. And they were just genuinely stoked about sloppy being there. And then I don't know if you saw that really good picture from the stage where BA has got his shirt off and the lights are kind of blue. So it kind of makes BA look like a giant Smurf, (laughs) but like beyond BA out into the crowd, it dude, it's thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. watching them and it was just great man it's like man you, you know, guys deserve this you know you know it's funny because we i've told this story before so i won't elaborate too much but they hadn't toured the west coast for about 20 years until a few years ago like three years ago yep. and they started their tour at in las vegas at a great place out there called the dive bar in las vegas which yeah tell you what man you can go to any city in the world and a dive punk bar is a dive punk bar it's still like $3 PBRs and everything else. But anyway, we actually flew out to see the opening night of their West Coast tour like three years ago, brought our wives out. It's funny, man. I know I made this joke. <clears throat> when there's like, when they're playing in Las Vegas, our wives are more than happy to come with us. When it's like central Indiana, they're like, ah, you guys go ahead with us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Logan but, uh, Sport is the Las Vegas of the Midwest. Oh, is it? Logan Joliet. <laughs> According to the broke down song, but anyway, yeah. So, 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 okay. You did the Joey Ramone single, and then at that point, you were still working him, needling him, or they were looking to put the um, the live record out on vinyl, or was that your your idea? Yeah, they no, that was their idea. They came to me. <laughs> they came to me, and I, I picture BA and then Steve Sloppy. That's the drummer. Steve the Sloppy lives guy. in Indianapolis, and yeah. I I deal with him a lot on the release. Stuff, you- and he's he's awesome to work with. Does, so does, and, uh, I, I always is, is so is BA like the main business contact for the band, or is it Steve or who is who's like the I mean who who's the, who runs the show behind the scenes who's who's is it BA? I would say BA 
is definitely in charge of the booking and the shows and the direct contact with the tour manager and stuff. That's my guess. I'm no expert, but Steve definitely, when it comes time to put out releases, all things flow through Steve and BA both. Huh. Um, okay. Steve seems to be pretty involved with that stuff. And it, it could be too, that kind of like maybe Steve has more of a, uh, maybe like a skill for getting behind the computer and ad- adjusting the art files and sending ah, off okay. the MP3s and all that. Like he, he's, he's usually who I deal with for that. Okay. And he hit me up about the live album. He was like, you know, we never really gave live no time for tuning an official release. Would you want to do it? And I just, yep, let's do it. Let's just, let's do it. I'm, I'm down to do anything. And boy, I hope they put out new music someday. Yeah, same here. And I also hope they still have copies of that Endless Summer on Detour when they get to Chicago and this tour that's coming up here shortly. They should, because that was supposed to come out around Punk Rock Bowling and was pretty um, uh, delayed. I want to say the guy from Detour got sick or something. That thing was like really delayed. It was a real real low-key release. If they did much push behind it, I didn't see it. Which is not to no. say I couldn't have missed it, but I didn't see any like promo for it at all. Well, the funny my th- angle with that would have been a ten year release of it. It was that thing came out in two thousand nine, and you know, release it in twenty nineteen to make it a big ten year anniversary. Well, the funny thing is, on again, I'm going back yeah. to Discogs, but the funny thing is, um, you can get the Endless Bummer album, the original, on Kid Tested. You can get some copies of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're expensive, but you can still get them. But you cannot get any of the Detour ones. There's none of them available, which is interesting. Yeah, because you think it only came out last. Yet. You don't think it came out last year, right? No, well, not Neil, even. You... I think a few months ago. Okay. So Neil, did you know that? Well, that Kid... would be last year, though. You're right, Neil. So yeah. Kid Tested Records made a pretty good splash when they first started. I think I told you this, Neil, and I can't remember if I did or not. But you know, that was Dave Parasite. Was Kid Tested was his label. Was and who now? he did it? Dave Parasite, who I know you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dave Parasite's in the Chicago area. I've seen him open for Sloppy at least a couple of times. His it's him and some younger guys. But yeah, that was uh that that label, they were a subsidiary of Go Kart, which is a halfway decent mm-hmm. sized indie. And uh but I don't I don't know what happened if it was Dave's health or what. That label fizzled out, but they started really strong and did some really cool stuff. They did a really cool reissue of Destroyed but stuff in uh like a LP and a half with a etched uh second LP, which I always kick myself because I could have bought any of this stuff back in the day because I've been following the band for so long. When I first went and see them, they were still selling a version of the I Don't Want to Be a Homosexual 7-inch and all this stuff, and a lot of it I didn't buy, and I'm just kicking myself. So now I just buy everything everything they got. Yeah, well, they, they, I have that kid-tested double LP. I mean, the bonus tracks are not that great, if we're being honest, but it's a really cool version of the record. Right, yep. So Okay, so go, going back to the live album, um, how come you decided to change the cover? Because the cover's different, right, than the original CD? Yeah, I, I want to say that um, the guy that does a lot of Sloppy Seconds art and stuff has since passed away. Okay. And I don't think they had access to it. Oh, okay, gotcha. But, but unlike a lot of Sloppy's albums, this one wasn't necessarily, a, you know, it wasn't like a real pic- picturesque design or anything. True. It was true, just true. a copy and paste of a bunch of photos. Yeah. I like the so, color. I actually like the color a lot on the new one. You know, what they did that was um, Steve 
Sloppy, the drummer who I worked with on it, he said they went into it. They wanted it to have like a Descendants feel. Mm, so okay. I kind of see that looking at it. They want it to be a lot like uh, Descendants and Joy or something. Like basic, like that, but so. yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's got a nice pop to it because the other one was basically brown or, or gray. I mean, it didn't have any color. It was, you know, I think it, I think it turned out cool. You did some nice color variants too, which would be cool. The one thing we ran into, it was so many damn songs. There was a lot of songs. And yeah, it's like 21 songs or something. Technically, if you're a real audiophile, I think you can kind of tell that it's just a tad bit quieter than a normal LP would be. But the fact that it's a live album kind of masks yeah. that a bit. And you, you don't want to make, like, yeah. make a double LP if you don't have to, because then you get into some cost. You know, it gets very expensive. No, but when I got the when I got the um, when I got the test presses, I was like, "Oh shit, this is a little bit quieter." I see what they think, and then we had that idea, just what you said. I was like, "Well, I'll send this to BA and Steve, and if they want to make it a double LP, we'll figure something out." But luckily, they didn't. They didn't want to. If you got a pretty good record player, you can't you can't really notice it. But I don't know. I know it's just a little bit quieter, but it's still it's really good man and you can hear the, the crowd at the very beginning is super loud too i, I like that I it like is very records, much so. it is definitely one of those makes you feel like you're in the crowd and it's it's not overly polished doesn't have all the studio overdubs and all the kind of crap that like all those bad 70s live albums had you know like like the, <laughs> when no go ahead. when the beginning of um I don't want to be a homosexual when that john water sample plays you can hear people in the crowd <laughs> reciting it yeah. it's kind of funny I, and I'm sure you heard when I was talking to BA originally, the first time I saw them was in the late 90s, and they were still doing that. And I loved that. Yeah. And when I saw them later, I'm like, why aren't you guys still doing that? That was the greatest thing. People just talking along to that sample. You know, it's it's so goofy. But uh, hey, me- I, I wonder, too, if it's not PC culture. Because when I saw them at Punk Rock <sighs> Bowling, which you should both go to, and I can talk to you off air about why I think Punk Rock Bowling is great. But they they did a live show at the concert at the actual festival and they did not play it. And then yeah. the next day they played a pool party, which was awesome. And they played it there. So no, they didn't know. play the intro or they didn't play the song. They didn't play the song at all at punk rock bowling. You gotta be kidding me. That's crazy. <laughs> but dude, with, with you got a great body, but your record collection sucks and yeah. can't kill Joey Ramone and I want him dead. I mean, there's still some real. Oh, no, no, it's, 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 that's, that's all fine and good, but it's funny because they don't seem to have, you know, and we, we actually, if I could have talked to BA for three hours, four hours, it would have been great because I kind of wanted to ask him about that because, you know, like the queers are another one. They've kind of fallen out of favor, I think, because they're so politically incorrect, and because Joe's kind of a provocateur. You know, he loves to he loves to rattle yeah. cages. And I wonder, because like song like Iggy Breaky Skull, we were kind of joking about it. I mean, if that came out today with our cancel culture or something like that, and it's clearly being tongue in cheek. I mean, I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. encouraging the behavior of most of these songs that are like that. You know, but I mean, you'd just be you'd be kicked out of punk, right? Well, certain, I think. certain circles. And I'm ready. To certain punk. circles. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, they tried to fucking do it to the Dickies. So, you know, fuck them. Yeah, exactly. The most harmless freaking band yep. on the face of the earth, yep. Dickies. They've been doing the same shit. Anyway, I'm sorry, know. Matt. You had, you had a thought. We cut you off. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm agreeing with you. I, I mean, Neil's definitely not going to hear that song at Fest when he goes again next year. Uh, I, yeah. might, I might not be allowed at Fest next year. They can see me coming and stop me coming. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, you know, like the dwarves. See, I actually like what the dwarves did and what like Screeching Weasel have done and, and what the queers have done, too, where it's like the dwarves. I mean, they've been part of that. They're in San Francisco. I mean, the worst PC culture there is. Right. And they put out an album called Take Back the Night, which my. That they're being criticized for. I mean, first they mock the whole Take Back the Night movement and turn it on its head. And then there's that song about being a peeping Tom, watching underage girls, and there's and there's just songs and there's a song about San Francisco, that city by the bay, and how bad and how they can all suck his balls or whatever. It's just like, oh, it's so I just love it that they went on the offensive, but they doubled down, yeah. They doubled down completely. It's good. And it's the same with, you know, they just they lost a lot of that audience. You know, they can't play a nine twenty four Gilman or a place like that anymore because it's just, you know, but nobody has a freaking sense of humor. And the thing is, all the early great punk stuff, it was all it was all tongue in cheek. It was all about having a great sense of humor. And when that you take that out of it, I don't hardly want to be involved with it, you know? Well, I mean, there's I, a place to put Gandhi, but that's not the only thing I want to listen to. When I was putting together the record farm four year anniversary that's next month, I reached out to the dwarves. And um, they're going to be in Europe or something. But I reached out to the yeah, dwarves and the queers, and you have two different problems. I have that with culture. The queers, thing that we do. Well, with the queers on paper, that looks super offensive on a flyer for a nonprofit theater oh. to have a band called the queers. But then oh, yeah. when you see them live, it's just like the Ramones incarnated. And I think, yeah. you know, it, it, lyrically, that's not really that offensive. The dwarves on paper are not offensive, but then when you see the merch table in person, I, you know, I was going to have some serious questions to answer. So, I mean, their, their logo is, they call you know, it's, it's skull and boners. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you wouldn't notice it if you don't look closely, but yeah, they're, they're, uh, but I just, I don't know. I just, you know, we've, we, that's kind of why we started this show, Matt, you know, and, and, and I know you've listened to it. So you know that about us, but we're just so sick of all the, kind of the humorless mess that punk has become. And that's why I was joking with you the other day when we were talking privately, I'm like, I, I, if they kick me out, they kick me out, kick me out of punk. I don't care. Cause I don't really recognize it anymore anyway. You know? Yeah. It, and when you guys were talking about it too, not the PC culture part as much, but just the, I noticed from talking, from listening to you guys talk from the things that you do and don't like, I kind of realized that man, I like about everything. <laughs> I just must really like putting stuff out, you know, like some of the bands that you guys aren't into as much. I kind of actually do like, and then of course, a lot of the bands you like, I like as well, but I, I, I do agree with you. And I, I don't know. I just kind of avoid it all. I don't comment on it at well, all. I know I have a lot of friends in the Indianapolis area that are very, very hipster like and kind of maybe not hipster like but you know uptight about things i'm not uptight about and i just yeah. ignore it you know i thought some jazz and I try that. book in the queers but whatever i i try that too matt i really do i really don't want to get involved with politics i think the problem is everybody's tried to make politics so simple you're conservative you're liberal blah 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 but most of us believe most of us agree with certain things on every you know what i mean i, I don't believe yeah. in all of one thing or all of another thing you know, we no, we make up our minds about things, and it's just everything's so, I don't know. And I just, I, I, I had a, I actually went on a tirade on the regular Punk News podcast last week for about five minutes, where I'm just like, the problem is, it, Punk now has become so, it's so, so much conformity. It's like if you don't believe X, X, and X, you're not allowed to be a punk anymore. And and right. listen, I'm sorry, I'm 46 years old. I've had a lot of life experiences. 
to leave, not just, you know, some college professor or whatever. So, you know, forgive me if I have my own opinions about this, but I'm not I'm not buying the company line just because we call it punk doesn't mean it's any more nonconformist than any other thing, you know? Yeah, no, <sighs> I agree with you. Get me tirading again. I don't want, you know, I Neil always, I always say we don't want to talk about politics because I really, I really, I really don't generally want to get, and I, I agree. I try to stay above the fray. I you don't. Know, talk news. I get involved as news, much as I can. Exactly. <laughs> Neil loves to argue. Too much. Yeah, that's kind of his thing. Yeah, I, I do. So, uh, but should I, we, should we, uh, should we, should we play a song? You know, should we, should we do the, um, well, I have I have one, I have one question about this about the Sloppy Seconds live album because it's and it's super interesting yeah, until, until maybe you don't know about this so they do it a, they did a super limited I guess only forty five copies of the album that's got sand in it what is, what is that about yeah I saw I saw that yeah what, what's up with that dude yeah so I have a good friend here in Indiana you actually saw him last year Tom he's in the band uh, Brother O Brother okay. And he, he runs a company called Romanus. He has a label called Romanus Records, and he does okay. this Romanus custom vinyl where he will take and make those same liquid or gel or sand or glitter-filled filled records that you see like Third Man Records do. He'll, okay. he'll make those customs. He's done them for Metal Blade and I think Relapse and different metal labels and stuff. But he, he hit me up and he was like, Hey dude, do you wanna do forty five red sand filled vinyl? Because I had clear copies left. Now why sand? So to make why sand just, of all it's things. just what he had. Oh, okay. It's nothing and to do he, with the band then. Okay. He had no, no, it, there were people that asked that question too, Neil. They're like, Why sand? And I'm like, I don't know. You don't want to, you, you don't want to put beer in it, it's gonna go moldy, maybe or something. I don't know. But is it, is it, is it late? So does he cut them with a lathe then? He doesn't press them. No, you take the clear records I already have. Oh, and, oh, oh, oh yeah, and you you um I'm sure he puts a very microscopic little like divider in there to create a gap. He fills it yep. with red sand. Then he goes around the outsides of it, and he tediously seals it. And the record still plays fine, but you can hold it up and kind of move it around, and you can see the the sand it's like, like it's move got a like it would in an hourglass. Like, so you hold it up to like your 180 gram vinyl; it's gonna be like twice as thick. It's, it's yeah, like it's, a sandwich. Oh, it'll be, shit, it'll be three times, four times. Well, I was, and I was, uh, they're popular. I was shocked at how I mean, you, I mean, they were very expensive. And you yeah. sold them all in a matter of a day or something, right? I sold them all in like four hours. And they were like six, 60 bucks? Am I right about that? Yeah, 60 bucks. Yeah, I'm looking yep. at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if the collector market holds up, obviously, that could, you know, if there's only 45 of them, that, that, that could be a good investment. Yeah, and he has his own. Um, I don't buy records as investments. They, they have their own clientele, people that like buy that, you know, his products. So I think probably my mm. first 10 or 15 sales were just Romanus people. Cause mm. he's done stuff for man, King Gizzard, um, the weeks, black Dahlia murder. Um, <laughs> I can't remember, but he's done a lot of these. It's a, it's a cool thing. When he asked me, I was like, I felt pretty honored. I wanted to do one for clownvis, the clownvis record I put out. I thought it'd be cool to make an eggnog filled record because it's a Christmas record. Oh yeah, that <laughs> and, would be good. Smell real come good. Come up with some sort of, well, come up with like a fake eggnog looking substance, I guess. 
But I don't know. I, well, I and you didn't do that. You didn't do clear of that. You did like red and green or something, right? I actually got and black. I, and that, that did sell out. Yeah. So I could repress it and clear and then maybe try to do the eggnog or, or he said glitter filled or something, but I don't know. I think, I think I Neil is probably full, full release. I think Neil has probably seen my. Have you seen my classic photo with Columbus, Neil? Have I ever shared that I, with you? Yes, I, I think I have. It's very disturbing. Yes. <laughs> multiple <laughs> levels, right? Yeah, on multiple levels. Oh, I, I think, love. Yeah. I should put that in the punk I <laughs> had so much fun last year. So let's play a, let's play a Sloppy song. Uh, let's play Johnny Be Dead by Sloppy. This is from. Uh, and then when we come back, we will uh, talk about the show coming up this year, the fourth edition. Yeah, no problem, man. So so let's play Sloppy Seconds, Johnny B. Dead. And this is an old song from, I don't know, quite a few years ago. They reworked. And this is on the split with Danger Bird, who we just played a few minutes ago. So this is Sloppy Seconds, Johnny B. Dead. So there you go. That was Johnny Be Dead by Sloppy Seconds. That's a uh, forty-five. Can you still buy that? Do you, do you guys still have that on the store or whatever? No, that's sold out too. Sold out. Okay. So the fun thing with that record is now I think he might, the band might still have some, but I'm not positive on that. No, they're out, they're out too. They're out too. But the funny thing, fun thing about that song is it references several other songs. So it's if you're like a real big music buff. It's really fun to go through there and like try to pick out little pieces of the lyrics and what song they're they're referencing and there's musical citations of some like 60 songs in there. It's it's just a lot of fun. Like No Effects used to do those songs. Like they had one called like Johnny Music and it like made references to all the like punk songs that used the term, you know, used the name Johnny in their songs. Oh, that's cool. If, and it's just 
it's anyway, it's kind of fun as a, as a music nerd like myself. I enjoy going through it and kind of picking it apart. So, so, uh, uh, so yeah, last year, Neil, the, you, Neil doesn't like no effects, do you? No, if I, uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny, man. So when no effects were getting big in the nineties and stuff, I kind of wasn't listening to that much, uh, to that much punk. I was listening to a lot of, uh, like Britpop and New Wave of New Wave and stuff like that. So yeah, I knew no effects kind of just skated right by me. I mean, some of the stuff I've heard is all right. Um, I w- certainly wouldn't say I'm a huge fan or anything. I've made this joke before, Matt, but it still stands true. And that is, you know, Poser Till I Die just doesn't have as good of a ring to it. So that's why we, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, we always talk about how we've, we've had lapses where we weren't really paying attention to what was going on, but that was definitely more in my wheelhouse. I love the, the four in a row from from uh, S&M Airlines, uh, White Trash, Two Beans in a Heap, and uh, Punk and Drublick, and Ribbed. Those four albums in a row I absolutely adore. The rest of it is more hit and miss, but those four, I mean, I'll listen to them anytime. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember Punk and Drublick is a, is a desert island one for me, man. Like, that's just a I have That is sitting on my record. table right now. I guess I guess that's oh, just I guess so that's just good. the age gap between all of us because yeah, yeah all, all of my be. all of my desert island ones would all be probably going back forty years so there we go I, I certainly would be taking no, and NFX even with no effects I, I'm a little bit old, younger than Tom and I wasn't into them when they came out I went back around years later and kind of dug back into them I mean I remember it coming out I remember seeing it at the record store but I didn't pick it up it was like years few years later I mm-hmm. went around and got back into it. But. You know, the funny thing for me is I was big into the band, and by the time about Heavy Petting Zoo came out, I lost interest in them. Too much ska, too poppy, and then they put So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes, and I thought that was terrible. And then Pump Up the Volume I thought was even worse, so I had actually totally quit listening to them. And then they did the um, oh the one with George Bush on the cover, the uh, oh the War on oh. Arabism. And I thought yeah. that was I thought that was kind of when they re kickstarted their career. I really yeah. like that one, and I really like the one after that. But I must say, I've sort of lost interest again. So yeah, I, I mean, dude, I still I'm buy exactly all the records, but they don't have mean much to me anymore. So all right, sorry to get you off onto that, but yeah, I, War on Arism is a great record. I totally agree. I think some of the best lyrics he's ever written are on that. Yep. Man. He, Mike's a great lyricist, and like I, I like that the the thought that he's getting out never necessarily ends on beat like if it takes him a beat and a half or like a whole two measures to finish the sentence he'll do it and then like you know in the sentence halfway through the beat and then like pick it back up uh, that that war that war on errorism has a lot of that in there it's that's a really good one but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of over him here lately but Where was, there you go. Where no fx killed the conversation well done everybody yeah where were we going with this man <laughs> you were, you're going somewhere i swear did we lose him? Hello. No, I, I'm trying to remember. Why were we even talking about no I don't know. I, I don't know, mate. Why did you bring it up? <laughs> this is, this is oh, the, man. This I'm is sorry. The, this is PBR yeah. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so you so so let's talk about the, let's talk about the show you got coming up. Or so the so last year you had last year was uh, I mean I assume you really elevated the size of the thing last year having sloppy seconds headline. What were the and you said your band had headlined one year, and uh, who did the first one? So the very first year was my band Owl and um, Thunderbolt Grease Slapper. Oh, that was the first year. And then the second year of of, of an even longer span reunion 
was my band that failed escape reunited and played it and there was a really good turnout for that because we hadn't done anything together in a really really long time now these were both in and, the big room at the state theater or this was just at the store no always in the big room okay and um that year we did three bands in the state theater and three bands in the record store and then uh the third year with the year you went was sloppy seconds harley poe uh, Clownvis Presley, the Tentacles, yep. and Brother Oh Brother. Yep. Yep. And that was all in the big room. So yeah, then this year I ended up with six. I threw I threw so many lines in the water, and then so many people bit. I was like, oh shit, man! I got to split this up into two rooms. No one yeah. wants to sit through six bands. Uh, you know, I don't. Well, least. that's, that's like a, the a club show. The irony of the situation is that room is so nice that you can actually can sit. Well, so what kind so, what what kind of venue is it? Give us give yeah, us a clue. What kind of venue? venue. The venue is awesome. I, I love the venue. I've only been there well, kind of twice, but I, I love the venue. So talk, tell us about the venue, man. I know you're involved with it a lot from a business perspective, but you also have a little bit of a personal connection to the venue. Yeah, so it's it's the State Theater. It's in downtown Logansport, and we rent. Uh, a storefront from from them for the record farm and when i was a kid the state theater was a movie theater uh but you know like five or six years ago they kind of gutted it and have been doing this transformation to make it back into like a performance theater and it's got a stage and pa and everything with with seated guests it holds um i think 560 people but then when we do a, when we do a show, we take out all the tables and chairs, so you can just kind of stand up front. But like Tom said, if you wanted, you could go sit in one of the theater seats. But, but literally, we, there's, there was probably 500 people there for sloppy, and they were all down front. I mean, there's a big floor down front. Yeah, there's a huge floor down front, and yeah, there was about 500 people there for sloppy. Um, and then um, it's just a non-profit theater. And we're really just always raising money to try to keep it standing and uh, kind of be like an epicenter for the creative community. And I'm pretty lucky because the people that are on the board are really loose and wild, man. They're, they'll just really have never told me no. One, one, one time I booked this Canadian band called Chachi on Acid, and they were on tour, and I, it, I had just opened the record store. And I went to the my landlord at the theater, who's like the CEO of the not-for-profit. And I was like, hey, man, I'm going to book this band called Chachi on Acid. Are you okay with that? And we're standing outside. He like looks up at the marquee and he goes, yeah, you think I can get it on the marquee? Yeah. I'm like, all right, man. So from then on out, he's never said no to anything. They're, they're, they're always down, so. So you have so you have shows in the record store itself. You have a little stage up in the corner, and how? I mean, I'm trying to because because I was it's it's a small the record store's small. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's uh I mean it's bigger than maybe a single stall garage. I'd say like a stall and a half garage. I mean, is that right? Or am I off? How would you describe it? It's bigger than a bedroom. I think it's like yeah, <laughs> it's bigger than a bedroom for sure. It's like tw- well, I don't know. I don't know what kind of bedrooms you got there at the Trauma Manor. Wow, but it's um, yeah. Let's not go it, there. <laughs> it's real trauma if you think about that yeah it's uh it's like 20 feet wide by like 25 foot deep maybe something like that and then when we have a show um i have an enclosed trailer here at the house and i just pull the trailer up and i carry a lot of the ra- the racks out and put oh them so you take the- some of the records and stuff out okay 
Yeah, the ones on the wall all remain. The majority of the inventory stays. But I take okay. anything in the middle out, and I have a big shelving unit. I take all that out. So you can see, I mean, if the place holds 40 comfortably and uh, 50. 60 pretty uncomfortably. 50 people maybe? Yeah, okay. yep. Okay, you know what? You haven't even talked about that yet. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the record store? Because what, cause what came first? Did the label come first or did the record store come first? No, the, the label came first for sure. And I remember going to a uh, record convention in uh, South Bend. And, and there was a guy set up that was a record label. And it was so weird. It's a record label from like the West Coast called Captcha Records. And they used mm. to put out a band called Glitter Wizard. It's just a weird <laughs> deal. And he was he was in and Glitter Wizard is really cool actually. And he he he's like maybe he was a student at Notre Dame or something. And he just like bought a table at the record convention and set up his own record label at this convention. So you walk around this convention and it's a bunch of old farts selling REO Speedwagon records. And then here's this guy <laughs> with his with his table for his label and i was like dude this is awesome i have a label i should do this you know and uh we ended up starting to go to record conventions as failure records and tapes and then when we would do that adam and i my uh record store partner adam and i would take um our own records from our own collection like hey man i could sacrifice some of these i don't need these we'd start selling our own and then they started selling way faster obviously than our own titles did and um we started doing the record circuit pretty often and we would do them in chicago fort wayne and south bend and um the i noticed there was a storefront next to the state theater and i had asked the guy that owned it if he ever thought about renting it to a to a you know business and they let us come in and remodel it and uh, put the record store in there. But at the time, we would keep all the records out in my... I had kind of like a finished shop, barn kind of thing, because I live out in the middle of nowhere. And I would keep all the records in there. And occasionally, we'd have bands play in my barn and have like record conventions. We'd kind of like illegally sell like dollar PBRs and shit. And uh, like Against the Grain played there. A band from LA called Love Moon played there. And um, uh, that's where we got the name The Farm, The Record Farm. And mm. uh, um, we just ended up moving in, into Logan Sport. That was probably four years ago. And uh, I just said something to Adam, and, hey, you want to do this? And Adam's always down. Uh, he's the real yin to my yang. I kind of get us into a lot of problems and <laughs> get us, like, my mouth gets us into all these, like, situations. And Adam is just the best, most, like, analytical detail oriented dude to work with man i would take him into battle on anything and he's great at like you know okay big mouth now you told the queers we put out 500 records now now let's actually talk about this you know let's actually crunch some numbers let's, <laughs> let's see if we can do this so he's great man so so yeah that's that's how we opened that store uh there in logan sport and then last year you opened a second one or was it yeah 18? No, it was in uh, 2018. Yeah, it was 2018 because it'll be two years this November. Again, it was okay, kind of a similar, similar situation to that, but just the opposite, if that makes sense. So Adam came to me and was like, "Hey, there's this an even smaller town, dude. Logan Sports only. Logan Sports 18,000 people. I think we own 
the smallest record store in the smallest town in Indiana. Like, I don't think there's a smaller population town that has a record store. And well, but then we had to top that because Logan sports only 18,000. Hell man, Rochester's probably only 12,000, 10,000. And, uh, he lives in Rochester and he's like, Hey, this place came available. What do you think? And I saw that look in his eyes, man. He was just, he was stoked on the idea. And like I said, man, if he, if he's into it, just, just ride with the man. Cause he's just an absolute a gamer. He'll, he'll lose days and days and days of sleep to try to like make something work. So we opened this one in Rochester and, uh, it's going pretty well. I mean, you know, we both have day jobs. Don't get me wrong. So, it's a labor love. Everything we do is an absolute labor love, but we keep our day jobs and we have employees that work at the store. Years from now, you could easily be a thousand. I was going to say, man, <laughs> in several years, you could be a thousand. You could be a thousandaire, right? A thousandaire. I could yeah. be a thousandaire. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so what's the focus of the record store? I'm, I'm assuming it's mainly, is it mainly punk and metal and stuff? Yeah, that's kind of cool. So the one in Logan is definitely has more of like a punk and heavy metal uh, vibe. That's where we have like the live music. There's definitely been, you know, lots of crowd surfing and tomfoolery there. The one in Rochester is a little bit more mellow, maybe a little bit more geared toward Adam's personality, kind of. Uh, a <laughs> so, little so, bit more so, laid back. So we're selling all Canadian stuff? <laughs> oh, Adam. No, Adam. No, Adam. I'm sorry. Part. I thought you were talking sorry, about yeah, the yeah, Adam yeah. Punk News, Mr. Canada. No, sorry. no, no. no. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of more geared toward like kind of like what he's into, but we still buy all the same new, new reissues and new releases. And there's like a list of things that you absolutely always have to have, like, you know, bitches brew and pet sounds and all the Sabbath reissues and all the Beatles reissues and all the Nirvana reissues and the clash Ramones, you know, both stores have all that. There's kind of a, you know, a preset list of shit we feel like we should have on hand, you know. Are you, sell, are you selling used stuff too, or just new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sell a lot of used stuff. Okay. Um, when we bought, when we started the um, Logan Sports store, there was a cool thing where um, uh, a guy got a hold of us, which people do, and they always want to sell you their record collection, and it's always Lawrence Welk or <laughs> you is. know the. <laughs> yeah, Dean Martin or Herb Alford. And this guy got a hold of us who's since passed away, but his name was Ron Foley. And he's like, Hey, man, I've got a whole bunch of records in my basement. I just really like to get rid of them. I'd like you to come look at them. And I was kind of like dismissive. Like, I know I've heard that a thousand times, but right on, man, I'll come by and look at them. Dude, we went to this guy's basement. I'm not kidding. He had 18,000 records. Holy shit. And he had them in order. Like, he had them. Uh, alphabetical order so you would walk up to these shelves that were like uh, six feet tall wall-to-wall records in his basement and just I remember man just like the Black Sabbath section stored you know uh, up and down like you would books just that was like two feet wide Wow! he he had just collected records his whole life and, and never cared if he had doubles when we when we bought this collection from him I think we opened the record farm in Logan Sport. I kid you not. We had like 37 copies of Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> because he just just always bought records. He hoarded records. He was like, yeah, one day I'll open a record store. And he's like, well, it turns out I'm not going to open a record store. If you guys get these all out of my basement, he said, all I want in return 
is a working jukebox that will play 45s and CDs. Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, he goes, I want it delivered to my house in working order. And when it's done, I want the phone number for the technician. I'm like, okay, dude, no problem. So we went out and found him a really nice one. I mean, that cost you at least a couple grand, but still compared to the records you got, huh? Oh, yeah, dude, compared to the records we got. It was, it was, you know, between maybe $1,500 and $2,000. So this guy's really the benefactor. So this guy is really the benefactor. So this guy is really the brains behind the record farm. Yeah, there you go. You wouldn't be be profitable till 2025 if it wasn't for this cat, huh? (laughs) No, man, totally. I, I completely agree. When we opened, man, you know, some of the like quintessential used records that a lot of common record collectors are looking for, like, man, we opened and we, when we, and these have all since bought, but I want to say we had like 45 different used Frank Zappa LPs. We had like a wow. hundred Pink Floyd. We had 150 Beatles records. Like, how did you get them all in us, there? Man. Uh, we didn't. They, the, we have my barn out here. When some got sold, we you had, just put more out. Exactly. But now, four years later, I mean, dude, I'm down to Huey Lewis sports. Oh, and, dude, uh, Tom, you'll be all you over know. that. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but we are, we are oh, kind of, kind of, we're down to kind of some crummy records, but, but, uh, it came when I was 10 yeah. years old. I got a soft spot for it. Give me a freaking break, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he had no, he had like no crates for him. They were just on these shelves. So we would haul them out in like crates and totes and it was nice out when we did it. It was like late summer, early fall. And it was nine pickup truck loads full of records when we had to haul out of there. Wow. That sounds like work. So that's how we got the number because we knew one pickup truck load was 2000 records and it was nine of them. So that is insane. Dude, it was amazing. Like we, okay. So some of the cool shit for you record nerds that you would like to know what we found in this collection was uh um the most valuable one was this record called um kennedy's killer and it was a radio interview with lee harvey oswald when he spoke on this louisiana radio station like months prior to the kennedy assassination and he's speaking on behalf of the like the southern socialist movement or something and yeah and somebody took this radio interview and pressed it on vinyl and it came with a typewritten transcript that was stapled together and we ended up selling that to some like uh history teacher or something uh, on on Discogs for I don't know 125 bucks maybe. Um, wow. There was a Ronald Reagan record in there that's actually was the opposite of this. There was a Ronald Reagan record called Ronald Reagan Speaks Out Against Socialized Medicine, and it was a whole <laughs> it was a whole pamphlet about why you should privatize the insurance companies, and that sold online for I don't know probably 100 or 150. Um, there was an original uh, Charles Manson. Remember that Charles Manson record that's always floating around? It's yeah. like terrible. Black and white. There was one of those in there. Um, oh, really cool David Bowie bootleg. A live David Bowie album <laughs> that was a bootleg. And Discogs won't let us list it because it's a bootleg. We still have that uh, son of a bitch. I can't sell it. But 
Um, <laughs> yeah, without discounts, you probably don't have a lot of big the big dollar buyers just walking. No, just... you can sell it to John Gentile. He'll cool... buy it. Oh, there you go. Some cool '90s stuff. So, so bring it back around to Punk Till I Die. Um, I want to say uh, original pressing of all Mass Nerder was in that collection mm-hmm. for some reason. There was a uh, 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 Mr. T Experience record in there. There was uh, some Motorhead, um, The Seeds, and that record was worth something too. But his kid, this Ron Foley had a, a really cool kid. He has a really cool son who's in a lot of good punk rock. And that kid went through there and took all the Ramones and Sex Pistols and stuff before we got there. Oh, but, that's a shame. Yeah. But it was still good. Huh. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how we did that, so. Wow, that's that's funny. So you almost had like a, a benefactor, like you had to put a plaque with his name on it or something on the. We did when we hauled all this collection out of there. There was this framed picture of Ron from the '60s with the like Beatles cut, and he's holding an acoustic guitar and he's playing this concert at uh, Ball State, which is a co- you know the college here in Indiana. Yeah. And yep. um, I, I was like, "Hey, can we have this picture of you?" And he goes, "You know, he kind of laughed like I don't care." Well, then we just hung it up at the record store. And it's been hanging up there ever since. He actually. So it's still there. I'll have to look for that next time I'm in there. Yep, yep, it's still there. And man, when he, sadly, when Ron passed away, it was pretty cool, man. We were even part of his obituary. Um, Oh, oh, that's cool. And like, like that was part of his legacy. Like the record farm was part of his legacy. There was a line in there about like you know Ron had avid music collector and collected music his entire life until, you know giving that music to the record farm and helping them get their start or whatever. So it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you never told me that story before. That's a new one. So, okay, so where, where are we at here, guys? Should we should we do one more song or should we well, I cuz I do want to talk about the 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 fourth anniversary coming up. So, um you want to do that or should we try to stick another song in there? Well, stick another song and let, let's play another song. Your call, my technical supervising friend. There you let's go. do. Uh, let's do that. Let's, should we do the owl song? Let's yeah. do the owl song. Yeah. So this is this so, is this is one of Matt's bands, right? Yes. So yeah. you you were singing and Adam was playing guitar. Your partner. Yeah, I was singing, and Adam was playing bass in both bands. Bass. I failed escape. Oh, bass. Owl. Okay. 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 So this is this is Owl Too Loud to Die, the title track from their your only album, right? Yes. Okay.
Allowed to Die by Owl, with uh, featuring Matt on vocals. So there you go. Did Owl stand for anything? Was it like an acronym, or was it just you were just called Owl? No, it did. I think it was. Uh, it moved around a little bit, but it was as our our wasted lives is what it originally was. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Because when, you, you know when we start, started it, we were the same shit. I think I was the youngest guy in that band, and I was thirty at the time, or some twenty uh, or something. So. It's funny because there's well, there's two directions I'd like to go, but we're gonna go, we're gonna save the one for another day. And the one, the one thing that Matt and I have in common is we both like punk and metal. Now Matt's more like fifty fifty. I'm basically like eighty twenty or ninety ten in favor of punk. Mm-hmm. But that we have that in common. So when we do get together, we always have lots to talk about. But let's 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 save that for another day and let's talk about the fourth birthday show that we got coming up here in oh uh, about a month just about a month so yeah. this show will be up in yep. the next couple of days so it's it's March 21st back at the State Theater in Logansport and actually it's the best of both worlds because you're using both stages you're using the big stage in the State Theater which is a great place a great venue and you're using the little stage in the record store so why don't you tell us about the tell us about your lineups you already mentioned the queers obviously but yeah so it'll start in the record farm on the small stage with Flamingo Nosebleed, which is a great kind of long running pop punk yep. band from here in Fort they, Wayne. They are, they, I, I can, I can attest to the fact they're They're from Fort Wayne. And if there's a good punk show in Fort Wayne, chances are pretty good. They had their hand in it. Yeah. The, and man, they're, like they're the great, that, great dudes. They're like the band that that scene pivots around. Yes, absolutely. So Flamingo Nosebleed goes first in the farm. Then it kicks back to the big stage at the state theater, which will be against the grain. My pals from Detroit. Back. That's, yep. I would say that's the band we talked about at the very beginning. My long winded grandpa Simpson story. When I talked about <laughs> that, I met Bob is the drummer, the drummer who, yeah, told me about the, the record farm. So that's yeah. Against the grain from Detroit. Great band. Well, and it'll, it'll be cool too, because this will be their first tour with their new member who is actually uh, Brent from Guar, a, a current Dude, it's, member. Of it's, it's Guar, isn't it? Because, this this Logan's this birthday show has a really strong Guar connection because there's two former members of Guar in two different bands. Yeah, right? you're right. I mean, so you, you, yeah, I so, mean because Todd, Todd from Mobile Death Camp, I'm sure you're getting to. I'm sorry, I'm stepping all over your toes. Was uh, was was uh, how was it? The Beefcake guy. Uh, he was Beefcake the Mighty for like a long time, man. He was yeah. in Guar for like seven or nine years. And I think it was a lot of those real, not the formidable early '90s years, but I think he was in it like uh, "Bring Back the Bomb" and, um, uh, you know, kind of like around the 2000s. I think he was definitely was like a fan, a fan favorite of that character. 
Yeah. Uh, so, it, so the so the guitar player, the new against the grain guy. I, I saw them on on that Guar tour. Is he still doing Guar too? Yeah, he's still in Guar. His name is his Guar name is Postulus Maximus. Okay, I didn't realize he was still yeah. doing Guar. Okay, okay, cool. So yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's that's why they've been able to. I, they're real good friends with Brent. Man, they've hopped on a couple of great Guar tours. Man, they went out yeah. on that last one with Sacred Reich and Toxic Holocaust and Guar that's and Against the Grain. It's like that was an amazing tour. I saw it in Grand Rapids. That was great. He said that Fat Mike and, and honestly, came. Guar was like the band I was least interested in seeing. Me too. I left during Guar, <laughs> to be honest. When I saw <laughs> yeah, him in so he, he said Fat Mike came to the LA show and oh, no got into a bunch of got into a bunch of hijinks backstage and like stole Guar's battle axe or something. And they well, great. I wouldn't want it back like, after he had it. <laughs> well, they couldn't leave until they got it. It was like a big part of the show. And they ended oh. up like having to call a bunch of people and call around and find Fat Mike so they could get the axe <laughs> and leave L.A. No one so Fat Mike probably used it some kind of an S&M thing. You probably had better. That's where he that was at. Mike, my, uh, Rob said he was at his like sex dungeon in L.A. or something. That's where he was <laughs> at when they had to retrieve this axe. So little his, known his, fact. His, that's where. I re- Little known fact, that's where I record the podcast. Sex Dungeon. I think <laughs> at the trauma house, yes. <laughs> that was a track by Spinal Tap, wasn't it? Sex Dungeon? No, Sex Farm. It might have been. Sex, no, Farm. Sex Farm. Sex Farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so so no, that was great. And so I'm sorry, man. I, once again I've sidetracked you. So they're they're playing first on the big stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Flamingo Nosebleed Farm for about a half hour. Then the cool thing is it's just rapid fire. So while Flamingo Nosebleed's playing uh, against the grains getting set up and dialed in into the big room, yep. and that's where the bar is, and there'll be punk music over the PA. And then then against the grain will play. So while against the grain is playing and the farm, Flamingo will unload, and the mound builders will, will load in. So then we'll kick back. It'll go against the grain, back into the farm for the mound builders. After them, we'll go back to the theater for, and I really hope you can make it, Neil. It'll be one of the wildest experiences you guys will ever have at a live performance and that is the band Daikaiju that uh I was wondering really how that was cool, pronounced. I'm glad I didn't have to do it first. Yeah, really cool surf rock instrumental stuff, but like they'll maybe they'll start on the stage or maybe they'll start in the middle of the room, but they will definitely end outside or on the roof and things will be on fire for sure. That's <laughs> definitely it's a neat thing like so while they're playing one guy will pick up his cabinet, unplug. He'll move to the other side of the room and plug in. They'll keep playing. The other guy will unplug his cab. He'll come move to the other side of the room, and they'll systematically, like, never quit playing, but, like, slowly move their way outside. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a wild deal. So, so then when the Kaiju's done, it'll kick back to Mobile Death Camp, which is, like, thrash metal, with a big punk edge, though. That is a cool thing about yeah mobile death camp like real big i think their last ep had uh had a black flag cover cover and a black flag cover yeah yeah i was actually Um, had never heard them i always thought they were kind of a lunkhead metal band i'd never heard them before this last ep because i thought our mutual friend matt had played on it but i was i was very impressed i I really liked their of course i'm you know i love that crossover thrash kind of stuff so I, I mean i agree with you too and i had that conversation with matt a lot when he joined it it's like god i feel like this band and and the especially with this huge metal and thrash resurgence that's been going on for like five years now. 
it's like I just feel they're so unsung, and I don't know what it is. But man, once you, and Rob Nowak has said the same thing. Once you see him, you're like, what? <laughs> this is not what I thought I was getting. You they're know, old, crusty guys. Cool. You know, they look like they look like bikers. They look like Andy Norrie League or something, but they're really good. Yeah, they do. What do you mean? Oh, but they're and, really good, and like the Anthony Willy Gaunt. What the hell is that supposed to mean? No, Anthony Norrie League were great too, <laughs> but I'm just saying they have that kind of look. Like they, like they look like they probably will. Hmm. You cut. You so cut off there. Matt, who's like fresh faced, very fresh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. I was just talking so nonsense. When mobile's, just, done, just... when mobile's done, we'll kick back to the state theater and we'll close it out with the Joe Queer will stand on stage. He'll count to four, and then they will not stop for like fifty-two minutes. I'm sure. There you go. So yeah, this so. is this is I, I I can't you know and I uh, I know I had a couple of friends you know we, we we did we posted on Punk News and one kid like sent me a message and said man this is great I'm coming from Northeast Ohio you know 15 bucks hardly any fees you know and six bands and and it's it really is it's a great I mean great bang for your buck to begin with and it's just it's a cool lineup it's diverse you know I mean a couple you know like the a couple of the bands are similar in style but there's at least like three different kind of genres being represented i'm i'm gonna be there you know i'll shake your hand you can buy me a pbr or whatever <laughs> three dollar pbrs man Heck yeah so so the 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 logistical part that's got me shaking my head is the farm yeah 50 people 60 people the state theater could hold 500 so even if it's not full i got the feeling it's going to be a little bit of a cluster getting around in this situation is that if you had this have you done it like you did it like this before yeah i've done it like this before and you know what it is is when it comes to the three bands playing in the farm, you just gotta want to see them. You know, you gotta get you gotta get in there. And if you yep. don't, those bands are each playing a half hour. You can just hang at the bar in the theater and listen to, um, you know, Buzzcocks or whatever I've got on the playlist playing it's, Iron so, Maiden or whatever. Can, can, it might be. So the, here's a, here's a very important question: Can you carry a PBR into the farm or what? Absolutely, I, I I would not have an establishment that a PBR cannot be carried into. <laughs> so you, how far you, of a walk is that? Is is I mean, it's, it's pretty small town, attached. right? Oh, they're they're attached. Attached. You don't okay. even have to leave the building. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So you will get. So you will leave the internal entryway between the two. Or you so, have yeah, to go you, you do, Yeah, no, no internal entryway in between the two. You'll never have to go outside. There'll even be a, a really nice food truck. That's owned by my gorgeous wife. Uh, her food yes. truck will be outside, so there'll be there'll be grub right there, and uh, all all inclusive uh, time here at the uh, Las Vegas of the Midwest. The Las Vegas of the Midwest. Wow, that's Skokie is what that is. Or no- <laughs> so all right man i i can't i like i said i can't i i don't know uh you know i don't know where people are listening right now but this it's worth the drive you know we we, we my buddy and i came in last year we spent the night i mean it's a very affordable place to spend the night and we actually made a game of it mm. and we tried to hit every single town um, and I don't think we'll try to do that this year, or if we do, we'll definitely have a little different strategy, maybe not double up the beers at a couple of them or something, but it was a lot of fun and people are, people are super friendly. I've been going to shows in Indiana for years, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis. And it's just like, it really is the friendliest place. How far of a drive and is I, that for you, Tom? Cool. Tom, how, how far is again? that for you? How, how far of a drive is that uh, for you? Maybe, maybe three hours. Okay, so it's about the same for me then. So it's almost like right in the middle yeah, for us then. Less, a little less for you. Yeah, like so from two, the Chicago. 245, the Chica- it says, yeah. Yeah, see, from the Chicago proper area, I think it's about two and a half hours because we did that trip. Actually, you know what? I was going to I was gonna give Matt a hard time one more time because the very, very first time I went down to the farm, 
uh, my daughter was wanted to do like a job shadow thing, and I'm because I know a lot of punk people, right? I know a guy who works at the Sonic Iguana, the famous oh, cool. uh, punk studio down in Lafayette. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna stop by the record farm and stop by, and I stop by, and there's a sign on the door that said, "Hey, we went to Chicago to a record fair or something." I'm like, man, I'm having really bad luck with this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, but now I've been there a couple times oh, now. That's funny. I don't think we got down there last time in time because I wanted to stop by the Rochester store actually on the way down, but it was really close to St. Patrick's Day and we got sidetracked. You know, sidetracking. That's what that's what we do. But no, it's, so. Uh... I, so, I appreciate you caring so much, Tom, and I appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, the friendship we've made and all the help you've done for me on these uh, probably last two or three releases. You've you've really uh, it's, helped it's, me try to get the word out. I've really, I've really enjoyed. Uh, I've really enjoyed you know everything about it, honestly. And I, I I definitely think you and I, if we lived close together, I think of course you know we're at the age where it's hard to get together with friends as much as you did. But I mean, we just you know like I said, we hit it off right off the bat, and I really like what you're doing. I really like that you're trying to build a scene where you're at instead of trying to go to a bigger scene. You know, because when you're a young guy and you're playing in bands or whatever, it's always like, well, do I move to Detroit? Do I move to Chicago? And uh, you just said, you know what? Let's try to do it here. And I mean, Logansport's never going to be Indianapolis, but you have yeah. a little, you've carved out a little something there. And I think that's, I think that's really cool. So I'm, I'm and I love to support Midwestern stuff anyway, because I think we're underrepresented on a national level. You know, there's no less talent in the Midwest than there is on the East Coast or West Coast, but they just don't, you know, don't get quite as much publicity or whatnot. So, in the documentary of... uh, American Hardcore, Paul yep. Marin from the Zero Boys, he yep. this quote is just, you know, branded into my brain since I watched that documentary. He is so right. He's like, man, a lot of these other towns, there is, a, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, there is a scene that exists and it's this flowing stream and you can decide to grab a guitar and you can go and you can jump into that stream of this music scene and then you can figure out how you want to float down this river and how you're going to be part of this and he says i'm from the fucking midwest i'm from indianapolis you have to get a shovel and you have to dig a hole till you hit water and you have to create your own stream you know and it's like damn dude you are so right like you know that's spot on um yeah no absolutely and i like i said i was i i really like that and so i would say to sum up if there's two there's two main points that that listeners should grab on grab onto it's a you should buy the sloppy seconds live album reissue from failure failurecore.com because if you don't matt's wife's never gonna get a new car and two, you should come down to logansport because i know a lot of you i mean i think a lot of people be like logansport you know logansport it's it's so much fun we had such a good time i'm a man of the world and i had fun in this tiny indiana town we are less than there's not going to be any backpacks and hugging is there i i don't know maybe (laughs) some and hopefully no shorts glad you brought that up no shorts either i'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. Can I, can I ask you uh, ask a few questions I have from listening to every yes, sir. podcast of Punk Till I Die? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I'm kind of frightened. One now. is not a it's it's not a question. It's more of a uh, uh, realization I've had. Yes, I think I'm that hugger guy. <laughs> oh, I think, oh. I, think, I think I do the handshake and then the bro hug. Yeah. In, 
half bro hug. I think I'm That's a all right, bro man. hugger. Man. I'll, give you, I'll give you a kiss, too. It'll be all right, man. <laughs> I think I am. I think I'm a hugger. It's got to be an age thing. I tell you, it's got to be an age thing. Because uh, if you did it that, if, be. if you did it that back be. in the day in Liverpool, you'd have got a swift headbutt. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I totally get it. I, I, but when you said that in the podcast, I'm like, shit, man, I think I'm, I think I'm a hugger. <laughs> I think I am. So I got another question for you, too. Yes. What do, what is your is there a story behind your thoughts on the band Pennywise? <laughs> I feel a strong not in the Pennywise vibe. No, I'm I'm not, and uh, it all comes from like interviews I've seen them do on like different punk documentaries, and how they're always like okay. def- and like they're always defending like Warp Tour and shit like that, and they're always defending selling out to corporations and stuff, and it just gets on my tits. It just really fucking annoys me so i you know cool. i mean they make uh, them... it's, it's, it's hard it's hard when you see these festivals and they're headlining over like a buzzcocks it's just annoying oh, yeah. you know Th- that too that too yeah for sure. right but the fact of the matter is okay. they draw better i mean they, they put these festivals or these big shows together based on you know the t- guy with the band with the at the top of the lineup is the band that draws the best and it is irritating that you know because Let's face it, a band like that shouldn't exist without band A or B that maybe, you know, third down the flyer. Right. So, and, and but, also, you know, it, there's no justice. What are you going to do? Awesome. I think my favorite. Okay. I was curious about that. My favorite Pennywise album is the one that the regular guy didn't sing on, too. The guy from Ignite was singing oh. on it. And I think that's <laughs> the, the best Gazzoli Pennywise song. album. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Oh, so, really? Yeah. God, that yeah. had to be. God, huh. what is that one? I don't remember. It was like early 2000s, right? It was about, yeah. about you, 2012 or something. Did you ever like see the documentary? Did you see the other F word, Neil? Did you see that documentary? I did, and I didn't like that either. That pissed. Oh, me didn't off. you see? I enjoyed. I enjoyed that. It actually, kind of pulled on my heartstrings. Maybe I'm a hugger too. Did you see that, Matt? No, man, I did, and and, and you're gonna laugh when I tell you this, Neil. <laughs> I this is funny. I saw that documentary, and I I can't relate. I mean, I got kids. I'm I'm. I'm a freaking normal guy for the most part, I think other than being in the DIY rock and roll, but like, I, I don't do anything that makes me go to the world and leave my kids behind or anything. But like, I, oh, you take spend a lot of, I spent a lot of time doing it. Yeah. I did take my kids to see Cox bar last year, but I, um, I, there's a part in that documentary that I can so relate to when Fletcher from Pennywise is acting super immature and pissed off at Jim, the lead singer from Pennywise, because Jim's like, man, I'm a dad. I'm kind of wanting to cool down. I'm not wanting to do this so much anymore. And Fletcher is just like, no, man, this is fucking punk rock. And we said we were going to do this forever. And you made a fucking promise. And and we're a band and this is (laughs) punk and we're not going to let go. And I can relate to Fletcher. Like I totally get what he's saying (laughs) in that, in that part right there, man. Like I was like, damn, I actually can relate to Fletcher who usually comes off like a giant annoying oaf but I I I really could get that you know like I'm you know okay I've got that illness that does not let me let go of the DIY shit so you know Uh, I did like that part of the documentary I would love to talk about Fletcher because I went to that punk rock camping thing down in southern Ohio a couple years ago when they first brought it out the punk and drublick or whatever and he was larger than life there and I could definitely tell you some stories but I'm not going to today because we're going on like two hours already. It's so funny, you know, whenever, like, I, 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 you know, you and I were joking around earlier, Matt. You're like, I can't imagine we're going to find an hour's worth of stuff to talk about. And no, here we are, like, two, two hours. Two hours. <laughs> two hours but the thing easy. is, 
the thing I like about this this show is we don't if we we don't follow a script we just kind of go with what feels right you know and if it feels we bounce one way we bounce another you know we bounce we bounce around and we've been bouncing for two hours so. <laughs> bouncing for two months well, baby. Last, <laughs> yeah. My last thing I want to say as an avid Punk Till I Die fan I finally got my time you know on on my favorite podcast I have to say well, thank this. You. I do think if you guys get a chance to do punk rock bowling, although it is expensive to get there, sure. I really dig the layout of punk rock bowling. And I've been to a lot of shit. I've not been to the rebellion, obviously, but I do. I dig the setup of punk rock bowling. If you stay at the golden nugget, you're right next to the festival and mm. the golden nugget is where all the bands stay. So <laughs> I didn't do any weird fanboy shit. But I'm telling you, just during the day, like walking around my hotel uh, in the lobby and around the pool area, I definitely saw what's the, the uh, Tony from the adolescence, um, pretty much all of Iron Reagan, all of the descendants, all of Rancid, all of Sloppy Seconds, uh, maybe a few others in there. I'm not remembering, but they're just in the hotel lobby. Very approachable, just kind of walking around because that's where all the bands stay. So, like, that part of it's very cool. Like, you are staying kind of with the bands. And then when you get to the festival, which you can just walk right across the street to it, old people like myself and Tom and definitely you, Neil, will love that it's very punctual. There you it's go, punctual. Very, that's very it, important. Dude, it's very, <laughs> it's very, it's very organized. It flows super easy. And unlike those no good bastards at Riot Fest, yeah. they don't oversell it, man. It's like, hey, <laughs> we can fit whatever the number is, 10,000 people in here, and we're capping it off. And I was there, dude, on days it was sold out, and I never was, you know, herded like cattle. The place was not trashed. They just, those brothers, I can't remember their names. But the, it's Stern, a brothers. the Stern brothers from, uh, Stern. Yeah, from Youth Brigade. Youth Brigade, yeah. Man, it just feels like there's like a lot of love and like a lot of fan experience appreciation that goes into the planning of it versus riot fest i used to go to every riot fest and man i would never go back no fuck, just... fuck riot fest that's all i gotta say fuck riot fest dude yeah, yeah we've been, we've been lamenting here. the fact that our teenage daughters would love to go see the my chemical re, re, uh, re, romance reunion and that's like the only place it is i was like oh, i don't know if i can do it or i just don't know no you won't want to go like my we went last year because I could see Cox Bar. I could take my son to see the Descendants for like the third or fourth time. Um, and Blink-182 was playing. And my kid loves Ugh. the Anima of the State album. But, dude, by the time Blink-182 went though, right? on. Do what? I said, but you love him anyway, right? I love him. You know, I don't hate. Again, no, I'm talking say, about your I'm kid, not the band. I'm talking about your no, son, but not I, the band. No, listen to me. I don't hate. I don't hate that album, man. I actually it's don't history. hate that album, dude. It's just your age. Um, it's my age. I don't. I don't hate that. Uh, I think it that came out, that right came out when I graduated high school. Yeah. Um, but but you were so far away, dude. The sound was horrible. Every yeah. fucking trash can was was every trash can was a heaping pile of trash. It just sucks, man. It just they, they have turned that thing into this deal where they just put hordes of people in there and they might as well just pass around buckets and say, here, throw your wallets in here. Like that's why you're here. You know? Yeah. We went several years, but I just kind of, plus it's gotten less and less punk every year, if we're being honest. Oh, and it's sure. gotten more and more like 
mainstream alternative and hip hop and everything else. And I just, that's not what I'm interested in. And punk rock bowling has done a pretty good job of keeping it a little more orthodox punk, but you know, that's a different crowd, a little older crowd. The festival There's crowd is a few metal bands each year. I feel like Iron yeah. Reagan usually plays or municipal waste plays, but yeah. you know, and I, and I agree with that. With that Neil. I like last year's lineup better, but, but all I'm right. going to be right. going to rebellion we, this year anyway, I think. So I don't think yeah. uh, I don't think PRB is going to be for me. I think Rebellion is this year, this August. So I, yep, I, just, I made some choices and I got to stick with them. So I'm not going to make it to PRB this year either. But you are you going this year again, Neil? Or uh, Matt or no? Yeah, I'm going to go again this year. Oh, and I don't even, I'm not even head over heels about any of the bands. I just really like the experience. It was a really fun the, experience. The Cox Bar Circle Jerk thing is strong, I think. And there's some good stuff in the middle of the lineup. Like I'm not big. Who's the other one? Madness. Yeah, madness of all fucking yeah. people. That's yeah, really, really very, very strange. Yeah, but yeah, but they always have a variety. You know, it's always variety. But all right, would all right, you we're call madness like ska or what? Yes, yeah. like <laughs> really light alternative ska or what would you even call? That's because the only songs that we remember matter those the stupid our house in the middle of the street song. Humorous, we don't really remember. Yeah. No, they they were more like humor scar, right? The specials were the specials were political or whatever, and you know, and uh, and madness were kind of the lighthearted end, you know. I mean, they were still fine. They were still fine okay. at what they did, but it doesn't seem to fit. That, that's just a strange fit to me. And uh, and can I just say, the only good thing about Enema of the State is the cover, because it's got my girl Janine on yeah. the cover, so <laughs> that's about that it. Good. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, we're going to cap this sucker off, because we're at like two hours. But Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was fun. Uh, it's, it takes a special type to be able to roll with us through like two hours we've learned <laughs> yeah for sure you have to be psycho yeah so you're gonna be that elite you're gonna officially be in that elite company of of uh you know guests who overstayed their welcome and we probably could have gone for <laughs> two hours yeah you know it's true, honestly, it's true. just keep shooting the shit hey, hey, i know i don't know yeah, I i'm really sorry if you. i, I talked too long it took us into weird tangents probably but no, i do, I do dude, that's our that's our show that, that that's that's how this works <laughs> Well, uh, I guess I have no. Uh, we haven't really discussed what what you're putting out this year, but if you put something uh, out that's uh, you know in our wheelhouse, we'll uh, we'll talk about it again. So, well, so, we'll do, man. Thank you guys so much. I, hey, I, I appreciate all your help and thanks for having you me. Bet, man. Thanks a lot, man. I look forward to seeing you in less than a month. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. Hope you can make it down too, Neil. Thanks. You know, I plan on it. Yeah, I really do. So I look forward to seeing you. All right. All, all right, right guys. guys. Later. All right, everybody, stay free. Bye.